This month's very special Christmas episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday is brought to you by published Star Trek author Mike Poteet. Thanks to Mike for not only financially supporting Two True Freaks, but bringing that extra glossy layer of gravitas to the show. That, that, that little touch of class that Two True Freaks so sorely needs. What's the name of your oh, show? Two True Freaks. Okay. Hi, this is... Do you, is it um, audio or video or both? Just audio. Okay. Just strictly okay. audio. Okay. Hi, this is Alan Ruck, and you're listening to Two True Freaks for us freaks. Awesome. awesome. Okay. Hello, Two True Freaks. Cobra Commander here again. It seems that my appearances on your internet radio show have proven quite popular, and I have begun, somehow, receiving emails from your listeners. Here's one. Dear Cobra Commander, what do you think of the Occupy Wall Street movement? I only ask because you are a known anti-establishment icon who has attempted to overthrow government on all four corners of the globe. Signed, um, Hair Metal Hero. Hero, what do I think of the Occupy Wall Street movement? I think those filthy hippie punks need to get out of the way and stay away from the Cobra Embassy, or I will run them down with a hiss tank. Are you serious? Have you seen this mob? Have you smelt this mob? It's like a dreadnought convention with less organization. The only occupation I am interested in is when I roll an armored column down Washington Avenue to occupy the White House and take over this country. Until then... These punks need to take a shower, put down their stupid signs with the misspellings on them, and instead pick up a rifle and a helmet and rejoin Cobra! Thanks for writing, hero. More emails next time, folks. Cobra Commander, out. It's Christmas time again, suckers, and that's where me, Maury Clawhammer, comes in. I'm here to show you how you can get brownie points with the family and friends and ensure that you have quality podcasts to listen to when you're supposed to be working. So, fellas, what you do is you go to the twotruefreaks.libsyn.com, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, and then you shop through the Two True Freaks Amazon link. That way you get presents for your old lady and kids and... The freaks get a little cut at no freaking cost to you. You get the stuff you want and ensure that fine Demonzicorp podcasts like this one don't have to steal from peaceful citizens just to put food in their yaps. Got it? And ladies. Oh, come on. Let's face it. There's no ladies listening to this sausage fest. And while you're at it, why don't you buy a t-shirt? They're made out of cotton, not dog crap. Jeez, whatever. Merry Christmas. James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? 
What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Did we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands, battle station! This is Captain Kirk. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle stations. Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday number 36. I am Chris Honeywell and I'm here with Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Scott H. Gardner. Yes, sir. Stands for halitosis. <laughs> Which is why I'm on the internet. I thought you were going to say halibut. Scott <laughs> Halibut Gardner. Just Same for the sort of thing. Yeah, you brought this sort of like a dead rotten fish. So, yeah. so how's it going, man? Great. 36. Man, it's, oh, it's, it's unbelievable. So that's what? That's, that's three years right that's there. Three years. Go, go by months. That's crazy. Wow. That's awesome, though. I'm I'm excited. Well, I've got a, a number of things to uh, to bring to this episode. One of which I'm going to save for the very last. It occurs to me that it has been forever and a day since I have done a book review, and uh, I have got a great book to uh, to talk about. But I'm going to save that for a little bit later in the episode on that. So uh, stay tuned. But uh, right off the bat, I wanted to brag a little bit. For the longest time, I have been trying to collect um, the issues, you know, all the entire series to there was a while. I'm trying to remember what year this was. Uh, let's see here. Ninety seven, according to the cover date back in ninety seven um, for a while there, Marvel Comics had reacquired the rights to do Star Trek. And they had a number of different Star Trek series and. You know, some were some were better than others, but you know, I'm, I've always been mildly interested in all of them, just because you know they're Star Trek. And the one that I was really curious to read was a series called Star Trek Early Voyages, which was actually the adventures of Captain Pike and his crew. You know, Ooh. set well before you know uh, Kirk's missions and stuff. And it's extremely faithful to the look of the cage. I mean, it's got the retro outfits and, and the laser guns and stuff like that. And it just looked really awesome. And I think I've thumbed through 
a few issues. I, I can't remember if I've ever actually read any of them or not. Um, and I have like the first, I think, five or six issues of the series, but I've been trying to find them for the longest time so I could sit and read the entire series. And I remember my, my buddy uh, Adam Tebow about 100 years ago re- recommending to me one of those um, omnibuses that IDW started reprinting all this. So, you know, kind of like how Dark Horse has been reprinting the, the Marvel Comics Star Wars stuff. Right. IDW has been reprinting um, the Marvel um, stuff in an, in an omnibus form. I'm not sure if they've done any of the DC stuff, but I know they've done the Marvel comics because they did the original 18 issue series that took place like right after Star Trek, the motion picture. And they've done several, several other ones. Well, somehow or other, I can't remember how I stumbled across it, but on eBay recently, I saw the, the omnibus that I remember Adam showing me, you know, a long, long time ago when he had just bought it and he was recommending me getting it. And I was kind of like, Eh, you know, I'd rather get the real issues and all that and holding out. Well, the trade was on eBay, five bucks, free shipping. I was like, eh, what the hell? Can't go wrong there. Yeah, yeah. I ended up winning the thing and I got it and it's beautiful. It's it's a slightly smaller size. It's pretty much looks just like one of those Dark Horse um, Star Wars omnibuses. It's beautiful. So I got that and I've started to read it and I've read the first issue already and damn it was good man it's really solid Star Trek and it feels like an episode of you know like if the cage had had more than one you know just that one episode with Pike I mean the the art's beautiful you know the captain looks like the cap you know all the characters look like the characters and uh you know, it's just, it's really faithful. It's well-researched and uh, I'm getting a kick out of it. So I'll report back as I read more of them. The only thing is, is that I know it, you know, the series just ended and it ends on a cliffhanger. That's the only bummer to the whole thing. I don't know how it ends, but I remember Adam telling me, he's like, you know, the only disappointment with this, you know, he goes, you know, be forewarned that, you know, they just up and canceled the series and it's never, you know, there's never been a resolution to the final storyline. It just ends. On a on a complete cliffhanger, and I'm like, damn! But it looks IDW really cool. should have just polished it off. They've got writers and artists. They That's true. Just, yeah, they should have just polished it off and had that as a little bonus to it. Yeah, I don't know if that would be a copyright issue at all. You know? Yeah, I don't. Well, I mean, you know, if if they own the copyright now, you know, the if they have the rights, you know, to publish Star Trek, then theoretically, you would think that if they reassembled the same team, mm-hmm. or you know, as many of the same team as they could get you know to to polish it off you would think that that's i don't at least theoretically possible it doesn't seem like anything anybody would be resistant to doing right it's too late now (laughs) i guess well maybe one day or maybe there'll be a book or something because one of the guys um behind it one of the because i I think it's co-written through the entire series but one of the co-writers is uh forget his first name i think it's dan it's abnett from the the abnett and lanning team that have done a lot of sci-fi they've done you know like legion of superheroes i think maybe they've even written some star trek novels if i'm not mistaken this is not abnett and lanning together yeah it is dan abnett it's just dan abnett and he's went with another writer in this first issue it's uh, ian uh edgington is the name and then the art in this first issue is Patrick Zercher, who I always liked. He used to do um, the Thunderbolts for Marvel back in the, I think that was in the 90s as well. But the art's just phenomenal. And uh, so far, I really liked it. I liked the the crew. You know, they 
have a nice, you know, typically Star Trek balanced crew where, you know, you've got, you know, a couple unusual characters in there that could potentially be the, the, the breakout character for the series, you know, a couple unusual alien types and stuff like that. So I'll, uh, I'll be reading this and I'll report back and, uh, and give you my final grade on the series as a whole when I finish the thing. But so far the first issue was great. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, just wanted to throw out a quick thank you very much to uh, my buddy Chris. And I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. It's spelled M-O-U-N-C-E. So I'm assuming Mounts, because it's like ounce with an M on the front. So I'm going to say Mount. it could be Mounts, I just I guess. keep thinking M-I-C-K-E-Y. <laughs> but uh, he, uh, we did a trade a while back, traded some comics with one another, and I thought I was just going to get, you know, a few issues, you know, the, the ones basically that I was trading for. Well, he not only sent me those, he sent me another just massive stack of Star Trek comics. So uh, I told him oh, that nice. uh, those are a good home. So uh, you are welcome to any of those that you need for your own collection. But I thought that was Ooh. really awesome to, to send me this great big old stack of Star Trek comics. So I was like, thank you very much. And I wanted to make sure he gets a shout out on that. Also... A thank you and an apology of sorts to uh, our friend Steve J. Rogers. Now, the thank you is for him. Not only did he uh, really go above and beyond to go on our forum and post a complete listing of where you can find, um, you know, what what episodes we've covered of Star Trek, you know, on the show, what episodes you can find a given Star Trek episode in. And that doesn't make any sense, does it? What ep- episode of our show mm-hmm. you can listen to to hear particular episodes of Star Trek? You know, he's us. making like the Two True Freaks Star Trek compendium. Compendium, yeah, yeah, he really is, and he he just recently went in and updated it on the forum, which I thought was awesome. The only thing is, this is where the apology comes in. Sorry, Steve, but you updated it with December's episodes before actually waiting till we got to December episodes. And we're going to throw you guys a curveball because this is the Two True Freaks Star Trek Christmas special. And we are going to suspend regular format, yes, again. Uh, And we are going to uh, cover something that we feel is appropriate for the season. So, uh, oh, 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 oh. whoa. So you guys are probably scratching your heads going, man, what the hell is Christmassy in Star Trek? Well, you're about to find out. So, Chris, when you're ready to uh, to hit your play button, I'll be ready hmm. to hit my play button, and we can go ahead and dive into this. Yeah, and everybody's going to have to listen to this and scramble into their DVD <laughs> or their VCR. Um, let's see how long it takes them to figure out <clears throat> what movie we're watching. All right. That that works. All right. You want me to do the, the countdown? Yeah. Okay. Here, let me make sure that um, I'll be ready on the click. Close all, <laughs> all windows that I don't need. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> I'll be seeing you later. <laughs> Just kidding. There's nothing that even that interesting right. up on my computer, unfortunately. All right. Here we go. On uh, on one, three or on go, three, two, one, 
go. All right. Okay. I'm getting now the stars. movie begins. Here we go. The swirling stars. It's a Star Trek movie. Awesome. But which one? Okay. Well, here's a big old hint. This one was released. Uh-huh. Maybe this is too big a hint. You tell me. This movie was released November 18th. 1994 that should be a big old hint to the audience right there yeah there's well, um, we know there's certain people who are just gonna go oh okay yeah okay yeah exactly they're going all right i know exactly what movie we're talking about now i want to know your your origin story for this because i definitely definitely know my origin story for this one so where did you first see this one i first saw this in the theater i went to the i went to the movies to see this one because by this time I've been sold on Star Trek The Next Generation. See, now giving it away, but oh well. How long can we hold it out? You know, so I was I was very... And um, if I recall, the reviews were, were pretty good. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was, I was very jazzed to, to see it. So I, I, I can't remember who I saw it with, but it was probably like a usual group of, I'm sure my friend Mark and probably like this guy, Dave Rapp was with us. And, uh, yeah. Um, couldn't tell you which movie theater I saw it in, but I, I remember, um, being sort of lukewarm on it. The, that, that first time I saw it. And, um, and I actually, I just watched it again last night and my opinion has changed almost you know a hundred not 180 degrees because that would be sort of luke that would still be sort of lukewarm but i i i really enjoyed this movie watching yeah. it again yeah and, and i gotta tell you watching it again just before because Usually with a lot of these movies, I don't watch them before we do a commentary, but I hadn't seen this since I saw it in the movie theater, if you can believe that, since since 94. So this was my, this is like my immediate revisit on, uh, on this movie from its first impression, and uh, I picked up a whole lot more from it, uh, you know, upon further watchings than I did that first time. Now, this is uh, according to what I've heard. I don't know if this is really true, but I've heard that that's a CGI bottle. I've heard that a number of times over the years. I don't know if that's, uh, like I say, I don't know if that's really true or not. I don't know, but I don't think that's what a bottle would look like. And and when you look at it, see how far away they are? I don't think they'd be able even to see the bottle hit it from that. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) And the scale of everything. I love... um, the depiction of media and yes uh, you don't see that too often and and uh it's this whole you know mounting on the now let me hey, see it's our, it's our buddy yep alan ruck yes we did we actually got to talk to him and he was very nice he was not at all like bruce Boxleitner. <laughs> like bruce box cutter <laughs> he was very, very pleasant, wasn't he? He was a really nice guy. He, he was, was. He was very pleasant to talk to. No, he was just genuinely uh, 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 happy to be, you know, one of those happy to be there and happy to be talking to people. People. Now, uh, 
I remember seeing this. I, I also saw this in the theater. I saw this at one of the two big malls in Atlanta. I can't remember which one it was. I've only been to, to each of them once or twice. And this was a big fancy mall. And I went, Mark Buttrick took us. And let me see, this would have been November 94. So Missy and I had just gotten married. So we, we'd been married like less than a month because I know we went to the premiere of this and I was psyched out of my mind. And a lot of it had to do with the rumors surrounding the movie of, of what was going to happen with Kirk and everything. So I was very excited about that. And, you know, of course, just excited because by that point, I was a full fledged next gen fan as well as, you know, I've right. been a lifelong, you know, pretty much lifelong original series fan. So I was a big Kirk fan and. I knew enough about the movie ahead of time that likely Kirk and Picard were going to play nice, but still there was that factor in there that if they didn't outright... Somebody might get slugged. (laughs) Yeah, I I at least was hoping that that Kirk was going to show up Picard, you know, for the the also-ran that I've always believed him to be. And he does, and that's one of the reasons I have always vigorously defended this movie, so... But we'll get into that a little bit later on. You see, I remember being very underwhelmed. I remember going, man, those guys are showing their age, but maybe oh, yeah. I'm just used to the older, fatter version of Shatner that we see now that's just a caricature of himself. Right. That Do- he seems really dialed back in here and, and very, you know, just very doing a very good job of not overacting you know, playing the subtleties of this part, but maybe it's just because he's so outrageous now that this just makes it seem more... I I really like this beginning part. I do too. Well, you know, maybe it's just me, but it it, it occurs to me, it seems like we're starting to create a, a little bit of a trend, you and I, with... Well, you remember I pitched an idea to you a while ago of, of starting a whole new sub-series in Two True Freaks, you know, something like... Two True Freaks for the Defense or something like that, where we take movies that we felt were kind of undeservedly, you know, dogged and kind of try to defend them. And I think we're we're actually doing that. We've done that a number of times. This movie, and, you know, I'm so glad to hear you say, you know, that, that you liked it, you know, watching it again, because I think this movie, I think the years have been really kind to it. Because every time I watch it, I like it better. I mean, I liked it pretty much right from the beginning, but I had serious issues with it when it first came out one of which was there's a lot of continuity bugs that you know that sort of thing always drives me a little nuts right (laughs) but the the biggest problem with this is i've always had a a serious grudge with both nimoy and deforest kelly mostly with with leonard nimoy for not appearing in this in the beginning which i felt really hurt the movie a lot and then having the nerve to bitch about, about it now? later on, I still feel that I'm very strong. I mean, that's that's something I've never really forgiven Nimoy for. He has been very vocal in his criticisms about this movie, but I I place a lot of the blame on why the movie. I don't want to say that it didn't perform well because it did perform well, but a lot of the criticisms that were leveled against. I mean, let's face it: at the beginning of this, the movie, right here, I never really bought that it's Kirk. Scotty and Chekhov. These are guys I just, you know, yes, they were friends 
when they worked together, but do you really see them hanging out in their off time together? And I just don't. What you know? I see going on here is those are the three of them, like Spock. I'm picturing Spock's really busy doing, you know, he may be doing a diplomatic mission and something. McCoy's just like, I ain't getting in a spaceship to go open up the Enterprise. God damn it. I'm a, you know. And then that, the, they they put the, it has that feel of you know an opening ceremony where okay these are the guys that had time on their hands that we got together and they might not be particularly spent guys who would spend a lot of time together I was I felt the same way when this came out I was like DeForest Kelly and Nimoy should be be there they but then be again there. it, it might have felt a little like sort of like let's trot out the you know all the old cast and and stuff where. It's like, like okay, so since they're not there, it becomes all of a sudden it becomes all about Kirk by necessity, right? Which I kind of like that, especially since we know it's not gonna, you know, be the. It, it's. It, it just it doesn't bother me as much now. It doesn't bother me at all now that those are the only, the only guys that they have, in there. You know, I. I, I really liked uh, when I watched this last night I was like man this is just a nice little 20 minute Star Trek pocket old school Star Trek right yeah movie you know in the 20 minutes like a 20 it could have been a 20 minute standalone you know the death of Kirk yeah you know it's well, not that's really part dramatic of the reason why I feel that Scotty and, I mean, excuse me Spock and uh, McCoy need to be in this is that this isn't just a Kirk guest spot on you know next gen this is the death of Kirk they were supposed to be there that no, was the feeling Kirk that always I always knew he was going to die alone no i know but i i think that they should have been there when Kirk died alone you know what i mean so that they were the ones to go down to you know the torpedo bay and and find the big gaping hole rather than it being Chekhov and Scotty you know what i mean yeah maybe i well i you know I can totally chalk it up into the reality mode of like, well, you know, maybe the, you know, it would have been nice to, ha you know, it would have been more made sense in a, but you, you know, it, it's I all, like that. Uh, how Kirk is just holding himself back, you know, yeah. you, you can see he's just. Oh, they squeeze now, that girl all by the way, right there that just turned around from the whatever that station is. That was uh, Vasquez from Aliens. Oh, remember the girl that's doing the the mm -hmm. chin ups in that one part? She was also the the stepmother in um, T two. Yeah, this is this is um, this movie has a lot of the theme of you know things don't quite you know it would be not things not working out perfectly you know right. things not working yeah, like out John Favreau the, did you the, the that? way they should yeah it did a little bit um. There's there's a lot of things in this movie that don't you know that that don't play out, you know. You know, perfectly, in a in like almost like a poetic sense, you know. What do you mean? So, well, you know, I mean having having Spock and and McCoy there when Kirk goes. Right. Um, more stuff towards towards the end of the movie, like how like you know Kirk at the end of the movie. Right, you know, it's 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 very strange, and and I and I and and not to say that I didn't like this movie when I saw it, I just was underwhelmed by it. I was like, hey, that was that was pretty good. And now that I watch it, I'm like, you know, they spent a lot of 
A, they spent a lot more money than I remembered. There's a lot of nice big special effects sequences in it. I always thought of this movie as kind of being cheaped out because it ends on rocks with, you know, catwalks between them. Right. But there's there's a lot of there's a lot of nice, you know, juicy special effects in in this movie. Oh, let's see. I'm trying to think. I, I actually, I watched this today in preparation for doing this. Yes. And uh, I actually took a bunch of notes. But, I, you know, like I say, every time I watch this, I do like it more and more. But I, I see, like in this part right here, this to me seems very evident that this part right here what, that Chekhov is filling in, this was intended to be the McCoy part, you know, because this right. is, you know, down in sick bay and and all that sort of thing but yeah. uh well even Chekhov's line of like you 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 you're you're now your nurses you now your nurses are reported yeah. that's a total McCoy line that's a total McCoy thing to do like come on you're drafted right you know now I remember one of the things that initially annoyed me a lot even though I really am a big fan of Alan Ruck and I like I, I've come to really like the part he plays in this because I remember initially for a long time feeling like, wow, this guy is completely incompetent. I actually see that character much differently. Totally now. differently. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally feel. Yeah, I, I had the same feeling, I'm, you know, because I was like, oh, here's this guy. This is a guy that totally fails. But man, right. what pressure he's pulling out his the enterprise that's like has really is not ready to go. He's right. got Kirk breathing over, breathing down his neck, and it's all on video, right? Instantaneously, and he does a pretty good job, you know. He does a, he does a good job of, you know. And there's even a couple moments. There's one moment where he asserts, you know, his captain's chair from Kirk, and right. And then when he's like, "I'm gonna go and take care of it," and he just gives, he does that just to sort of give Kirk the opportunity to go because he really right. know he he also knows that he should be in the captain's chair so you know so i i found his also, character really smart because he had he had kirk there you know a, a starfleet genius and he utilized him he didn't you know he didn't let his pride get in the way he's like you know kirk what do you think and that's and that helped save save the day i remember it kind of bugging me a little bit though when I initially saw the movie, because I don't know if you ever saw it, but I had this huge, um, one of those cutaway posters of the Enterprise D. Uh -huh. That was one of those cutaways where you could look into it and see, you know, and it told you like how the ship was, ma you know, made up and everything. You know what I mean? It's like one of those right. engineering cutaway type of things. And in the margins of that poster, were the history, you know, like a brief history of the other ships called Enterprise. And up until this movie came out, everything we knew about the Enterprise B came from that poster. And it gave a name for the captain of the Enterprise B, which was uh, Thomas Johnson Jr., which, of course, isn't this guy. Right. And so... You know, when I initially saw it, I remember it like really aggravating me. But then over the years, I've come to feel that, well, this Enterprise 
theoretically would have had a pretty long lifespan just like kirk's enterprise so you know likely had more than one captain so this, oh yeah you know this other guy you know may have been a future captain or something like which i think that they actually ended up you know in some book or something i think that that has been written that way and peter david has actually done at least one book about um the enterprise beaks i know he did one that was uh, about sulu's daughter that you know is introduced because i remember that being another thing for me i was like wait 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 what <laughs> where the hell does sulu's daughter come from you know it's like just right. just created out of whole cloth for this movie you know Oh, um, just to apologize in advance, you guys may hear me crunching some uh, <laughs> sourdough pretzels here. Snyder's of Hanover sourdough pretzels. Ooh, those are good, too. They are good. I've, uh, I think she looks a lot like George Takai. Yeah, she does, I actually. think her, like, facial structure is very... It's like her 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 eyes and cheekbones and and mouth are, like... You, you, she totally looks like she could be George Takai's daughter. Did you ever watch any uh, Voyager? No. I mean, that... I probably caught little chunks of it on TV, but I don't think I've ever watched an entire episode of Voyager. The black guy back there that was working at one of the, I, I think it was a science station or something, um, that's Tim Russ. He went on to play uh, Tuvok on uh, ah. on Voyager, who was one of my favorite characters on that show. I like now there's a series of novels coming out um, that are following Riker's adventures with his own ship and Tuvok's oh. science officer on that. I'm reading one of those right now, and, man, it's good. It's a really good book. I can't remember what the name of it is. I think it's the third one. It's o Orion. The, the Orion shadow Towns, on that guy's face makes him look like he's got mutton chop. <laughs> Sorry, just had to throw that in before it passed cut you off no no not at all i like uh i like that scene a whole lot like you say it's it's like a mini movie uh-huh it's just a, it's like it's like the first 20 minutes and it's just sort of like and i like it it's not it's it's it has a lot of the 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 drama you you find a uh kirk who's sort of at peace with his position and but still willing to take over you right. know and they they just throw a few little details in there and and <laughs> you get the the death of Kirk. This I remember this I, being a little weird and I still this, don't think this is like the most awkward part of the movie. No. This right here, you gotta remember, when I first saw this, I saw it in the theater with my wife and with Mark Buttrick. And Mark and I are huge, huge score buffs. Uh -huh. And that moment when it played in the theater, Mark and I looked at each other and we both were like, oh, while I have since come to really like the score in this movie at the time, I hated it because that flourish that just ended a moment ago sounds pretty much like the uh, the main theme to DS9, which is a show I, you know, I, I've made my feelings <laughs> plain about DS9. And I didn't like that totally yeah. lost on me then yeah totally yeah, lost it on me. just completely felt like they were using the ds9 theme for this movie and i was and mark and i were both like what why the hell are they using ds and you know once i've come just to, to make the fans happy i guess probably. 
But, you know, once I've come to really listen to the soundtrack and everything, I've come to realize that, no, they're, they're, they're different, but they're just similar enough that they sound a lot alike, but they're not really truly the same theme. This is one I, I really hope that they do a uh, an expanded score for at some point because I like the music and I've come to really enjoy it. It's just so weird that they started out with him as a prisoner in order to give him his. Yeah, uh, it's it's, just, a it's goofy. Weird. Yeah, it is goofy. I tell you what, though, it was neat seeing the uh, the TNGs. Cruz's name you know the the actors names on the big screen you know that's a lot of the the thing with this movie too is that uh I think this movie loses a lot when you when you can't see it in the theater because this was a spectacle in the uh -huh. theater. I mean this I mean especially like the saucer crash sequence and when Viridian 3 gets destroyed in the theater that was amazing I mean, that was beautiful special effects right up on par with something like, say, like, you know, the destruction of Krypton or the destruction of the Death Star. Or something. I mean, it was just, you know, awesome. But plus, you know, the, the crash of the saucer, you know. I just remember thinking how how incredible because I I saw this oh, movie. The special effects in this. Are, well, it's only 94. It's not that old, but they, they, right. they you know, special effects still are taking leaps and bounds year by year. And they, right. but this, this, it's the way they handle them. And this movie handles them really well. So they're very, um, it, it, you know, it holds up. This movie totally holds up. It does not have, um, the feel of a, of the nineties or something, you know right. what I mean? It but doesn't, still it's, it's almost completely practical effects too. You know, there is a little digital in there, but for the most part, like the saucer stuff, you know, that they were still doing that practical. And I think that's why it holds up so well. Well, it really holds, uh, you see, I think that's funny. <laughs> That's kind of what I would do if somebody said the same thing to me. I would push them overboard too. So, my memory was it was always that he it was Troy that he threw over. I wish, and, that and that, that's what I think it was wishful thinking over the years <laughs> that, that transformed my memory into that. <laughs> Who are the barbershop quartet in the background <laughs> there? By the way, didn't I see those guys singing outside of a, a restaurant at, at Disney World? <laughs> The Dapper Dan's. <laughs> I wish Kirk and Riker had gotten to meet each other. Yes, that would have been awesome. Well, Riker, Riker's more of a Riker's really into people. You know what I mean? He would have been when when. There's been a couple episodes where of the TV show where Rikers got to meet his idols or somebody famous, you know, by and you can tell he's just like, "Oh, this is awesome, you know. I'm talking right. to this famous person." You know, and um and um what was the one the one with the Borg and with um what's his name that Shag and I did the show about, you know, that that was an example right. that, you know, he totally, you know, he totally knew where he was, you know, and he was just like, "This is awesome," and he 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 engages with him. Whereas Picard is Picard; he's a crusty right. old bastard. 
Is this guy like the autopilot, or is that's he actually like the... the real captain of that ship in real life? Oh. I forget what the name of that ship. It's not really the Enterprise. They they rented it for this movie. Oh. I can't remember the real name of it, but that's that guy that took over for Troy. There is actually the real captain of that ship, in its you know in its real life, off screen. Can you hear the neighbor's cat out my window howling for this? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's good. See, it was something occurred to me for the very first time today watching this, and this is going to jump way ahead in the movie, but I I had a new sense at the end of the movie with Picard's reaction to what happens with Kirk that although he never said it, you know, and and he never like was all geeky or, or you know weird about it or anything. That Kirk was likely one of his boyhood heroes too. And that really, it, it's funny how that thought never really occurred to me before. But when I when I had well, that I thought, Kirk watching is it like today, Davy Crockett. You know what I mean? Right? Yeah. Exactly. It, this. That would, yeah. Exactly. That would be very much like suddenly having you know some adventure with you know abe lincoln or somebody from history you know i mean because to these guys you know kirk was was a historical figure that they likely you know heard about in in school or you know because harriman makes that remark in the beginning of the movie you know i remember reading about your adventures in grade school and that guy you know was still living you know it was living when kirk was still living. Right. you know these guys are 80 years in the future when kirk's you know supposedly dead and buried so yeah, it would be like having an adventure with some famous historical yeah, person from their perspective. Especially since Kirk went out saving the Enterprise, you know, right. once again, you know, it just it would be the, it's the perfect ending to right. But that's definitely one of the reasons why I wish that Riker and Kirk could have met, even if it was just just long enough for Will Riker to kind of geek out a little bit and want to shake Kirk's hand because there's a line in here later on that makes it very obvious to me that Riker does have a bit of hero worship regarding Kirk, you know, because he knows, you know, when when Crusher's talking about the Lacool, Riker says, oh, well, hey, that's the mission where, where Kirk was killed. Where Kirk died, yeah. Yeah. Now, this is also, uh, this, if memory serves, this was the first uh, we saw of the new uniforms that slowly phase in over the course of the movie, you know, where they're, you know, up till now they'd had like the the black stripe at the top, and then you know they had the color. You know, most of it was like the guy up there on the gangplank. You know, where it's it's kind of reversed, right. where the uniform's mostly black now with a little bit of color at the top. That well, one everything up, everything's and, mood lit for the movies too. Right, everything's yeah. Darker in this, and notice in this shot they're saving they're saving some money on this set. Everything's a tight shot on this set. That thing they're moving right there was uh, was used in a number of episodes of the TV series. If you ever see the when when we get to the one where Picard becomes a Borg, that was the thing they lock him in toward the end of oh. the, the conclusion. I think it was also in the one where Data creates a daughter, which is kind of a goofy episode. Hey, it's Malcolm McDowell. He's the guy we watched Dragon Con was hit, like talking up all the ladies. Yeah. I kind of regret we didn't go over and talk to him. I remember us both being like, eh, what would we say to him? But now I kind of wish we had talked to him. You know what? I didn't know. I learned this today, as a matter of fact, that he is the uncle of the guy that played the doctor on DS9. I never knew that before. 
I can't Malcolm remember that McDowell? guy's. Yeah, Malcolm McDowell is his uncle. Huh. I can't remember that that actor's name in real life. He's got a weird name, but he was Doctor Bashir on DS Nine. Yeah, he's his uncle. I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know if that helped him get the gig or not. It actually lends to my theory that uh, that most everybody you see in Star Trek got the gig because they knew somebody from some other project they'd been in. Now this is a scene here that I think is a little, um, a little, um, I don't know if it's fan influenced or just not well written, but I don't think Data would put his chip in just sort of blasé without talking to the captain. Exactly. Yes. As an off, he's an officer on the ship at this point, you know. I like he's, the Silver Surfer mocat in the background there. Uh, you know, he, I mean, it could fry, it could fry his brain. Mm-hmm. And and it's like you know this is like the equivalent of two buddies sitting around drinking beer and one of them's like I'm gonna go get that tattoo now you know except they're not drinking beer and he's like I, you know this might fry me I'll I'll make the decision between Jordy and I without you know right. the captain or you know I I just don't think this is how it would go right. down well, you know this would be like somebody you know I in think the, it would in be done at in, yeah somebody serving in the military going you know what i think i'm gonna have a radical brain operation you know and not <laughs> let anybody know you know it's like no you know there's there's chains of command you have to go through for these decisions you know yeah i i like the idea of the storyline i just i think that this is one instance where this movie suffers from say like I hate to even say this because it's actually a movie I really like but you know like Spider-Man 3 syndrome you know a lot of people's complaints with Spider-Man 3 is, is there's just too much shit too much going stuff. on in one movie you know there's there's you got too many bad guys you got too many subplots you got all this stuff going on and it's too much for one movie while I slightly disagree because I really like Spider-Man 3 I, I understand the criticism and I would apply it to this movie in this instance. Cause this, this thing with the data chip emotion chip is just one a little extraneous. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one more subplot. You really just don't need people wanted to see data have some character development though. So that was pretty much, and wasn't that something they introduced in the TV show and they were probably like, right. oh, we'll save it for the movie. You know? Right. Yeah. Because I think that comes from Data's brother, who, yeah, we'll 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 eventually get to all that. And the uh, I love the lighting in some of these scenes right here. Although there's a great big continuity gaff coming up here in just a second. But yeah, the the mood lighting as they're you know because it, it does very much look like sunlight coming in mm-hmm. you know through the window, and they're supposed to be you know holding off you know no, the, by they, that they, station they... with the sun out the window. Well, yeah, and but you know, I'm, I mean, on the TV show, it's right. um. Watch right here when this door opens. <laughs> it trips me up every time I watch this. He just does. He does that Riker thing. So he shakes it. It's yeah. totally black out that door. That door leads directly to the bridge and the view screen. So it makes it look like he's like walking into a closet or something. No, they have nap time on the bridge, and everybody <laughs> has their heads down on their stations they for got a few their minutes. Cots out from underneath their chair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is another part I could do without but, right here. I mean, the the TV show was known. To, I mean, I was very. It was lit for for shot on video, 
And so everything was always very well lit and almost had that um, fluorescent look to it. And right. this movie, it's established that it's a little dark, you know, there's highlights and it has a, and they give the Enterprise a much more organic feel to it, you know? Right. Not as much of a plastic and like a plastic car interior feel as much as it almost feels like architecture now, you know? Right. Almost like it could be wood and plaster to some ex extent. Oh, I missed one of my notes earlier on there. There was that scene where they're on the, uh, this, this always jumps out to me every time I watch this movie is there's the scene where Worf and Riker are on that space station and Worf says something about the disruptors that they're using and uh, and Riker says, well, that leaves Romulan, Breen, or Klingon. And just the way he says it. Yes, with a Klingon you know, standing right there. Exactly. It'd be like hanging out with your black friend and then you you know, you go, oh, and then <laughs> black people. You know, and it's like, no, dude, you don't say that. This could be the work of black people. Exactly. especially, <laughs> And especially at the, this point in Klingon Federation history, there's not that animosity of Klingon. You know, exactly. as a matter of fact, it would be like, what are the Klingons doing here, you know? And they do that all the time. Remember that one we watched with the frozen Klingons or whatever it was? They mm -hmm. were they were like still wanting to carry on the battle. Riker did the same thing in that episode. He, they they like come up out of it's like they came out of warp or something and and Riker goes Klingons. <laughs> he just says it with such distaste. I just want to see Warp go, "Hello, Klingon, right yes, here." Yes, yeah. You got a problem there, pal? <laughs> We need to take this out in the corridor. <laughs> oh, because you, yeah, you do not want Worf opening can of whoop ass on you. <laughs> Although I was noticing today, you know, Worf. Um, this is just funny. Story, Soren using his crazy person powers on Picard at a weak <laughs> moment to. Worf doesn't really sh have a good showing in this movie. He really doesn't have much. Maybe that's why no. they gave that little promotion scene at the beginning was to appease Michael Dorn because he doesn't really do shit through the whole rest of the movie. See, I like uh, I like Malcolm McDowell. I like the thing with the pocket watch because it reminds me a lot of... Uh, didn't either he or Jack the Ripper have a pocket watch in time after time? I think you're right because I think that was like the poster image was like the pocket oh, yeah, watch with, with the time machine yeah. on it and then somebody yeah. running. That was definitely the poster, but in the movie itself, either Wells or, or Jack the Ripper had a pocket watch, too. Wasn't it? Oh, I think it was Jack the Ripper had a... Wasn't it a watch that played a tune or something like that? Oh, there was something. Yeah, something. you're right. Need to watch that again. That's a great movie, yeah. too. Yeah. I haven't seen that since the days of HBO. Yeah, that's a really... That guy in the background looks like Harry Kim from Voyager. Again, I know you don't watch Voyager, but that sure as hell did look like him standing there. See, I think my my big problem with Turkey Base and... detects a radiation leak. <laughs> I'm sorry, what were you going to say? <laughs> I, I just, I, I like Malcolm McDowell too, but I don't think you ever really get, you know, you have, you basically have Guinan say, oh, you know, he wants to get back at, you know, he wants that more than anything else to get back into the Nexus. Right. But, I, I don't ever get, like, why, you know, I don't feel from him the need being so strong that he would, you know, do what he does to to 
you know, kill an entire planet off just to that needed to be explained better it really did there needed to be a scene of uh malcolm mcdowell in the nexus like reunited with his you know just like reunited with his family or or something you know an explanation of exactly what had the nexus done for him that he needed so badly to get back to it and it's sort of filled in a little tiny bit in the dialogue but still i don't feel it's enough uh, yeah, the, you, you, so, you, yeah, you don't like because Guinan made it. <laughs> you know, right. she went on with her life afterwards. It wasn't it obviously wasn't very easy at all. It was very hard for her to do, but she did it. So what? Why aren't there? You know, they they what? What did they save? Like fifty people or something, or like a hundred people or something on that ship, or you know, percent? Why aren't there like a whole bunch of? Is it just because Soren has a long lifespan? You know. That, that he's the only one who's like gone to such lengths to get himself back into the nexus right you know it's just you don't you don't get the you, even when she describes how beautiful it is and that she made it past so you gotta you know you gotta wonder what would make someone crack so much to the point where they would be like you know well the backstory on him and I'm trying to remember where I got I, I'm thinking I must have been from the novelization. Well, wasn't his, his was, family? His yeah, family his family got wiped out got by the board, and that's why they were were refugees coming to Earth mm-hmm. and all that. Which, again, I don't think that really makes logical sense. Well, well, you see, it's it's setting this whole thing up with with Soren and Picard being in the same crushed emotional state. You know, right? So Soren lost his family and Picard just lost the last of his bloodline family, you know, the people who could pass on his bloodline. Right. And he's made the decision not to be married and have kids and he's just realized my deci- that decision I made is has ended the Picard family line. And then, you know, and then he's dealing with the grief of the loss of, you know, basically what he says is the closest thing he had to a son. So he and Soren are sort of and are sort of in a similar state of um, grief. This is this is neat. There's a su- some subtle like, like up in his forehead with his forehead twisting right. and and twitching. That's really cool. Yeah. While I don't really care for the the emotion ship subplot. You know, there's there's elements in it that are pretty cool. Like that right there, to me, was damn scary. Mm-hmm. You know, because Brent Brent Spiner, sometimes in this role, can take on a scary edge. You know, where he's he's creepy, especially yeah, when he's doing that creepy laugh and well, stuff. Well, robots, I I notice creep you out in general. So <laughs> you know, so he's like a clown to most people for you, right? <laughs> yes, he's like some creepy mime mime robot thing see these I, I mean these scenes got big audience reaction people were really excited to see data experiencing fear for the first time and it's good to see that they still have those stupid that stupid laser hologram sticker technology in the future <laughs> Now that's supposed to be Picard's nephew and and brother, but they're not played by the same actors that they were played with in uh, played by rather in uh, in the series on the TV show. 
Yeah, because one of my absolute favorite episodes, possibly my single favorite, but we'll see once when, you know once we get you know further into our uh, our rewatch of the series. There was an episode called Family, where Picard went back goes to France. I to remember France, that one, and I love that episode. Love that one. Now, I've, I have very mixed emotions about this scene because while I think that this is a very strong scene, I think that Patrick Stewart gets to really show that he can act, you know, that, that he yeah. is a good classically trained actor and everything. At the same rate, I, I feel that it, it kind of hurts his character because Kirk never cried. I was racking my brains today trying to think, did we ever see Kirk cry? Not like this. When Kirk cries, it's like it's like it's like enemy within like <gasps> But I mean, you know, he, he lost we we as the audience and as fans, we have seen Kirk lose the love of his life, his best friend and his son and never shed a tear over any different of that. beast. Yeah. There's a, this is a different beast and it's different humanity. It's humanity, you know, hundreds of years in the future. Right. But I mean, here, here, this guy is in his first big screen theatrical role and he's blatant <laughs> and it's yeah. like, you know, does, I, I think it kind of hurts him a little bit. It, it makes him seem like he's the kindler, gentler, wussier in touch with his feelings man and and kirk's the you know he's he's the rugged macho man which i I, you know i don't actually mind that dynamic at all because i actually like the fact that you know in the long and short of it if i had to write up a, a one sentence synopsis for this to to go into like tv guide or something it would be you know, wussy old ball-headed Picard gets his ass whooped and has to turn to Captain Kirk to save the day because that's pretty much what the movie is to me, and that's why I like it. Because Kirk see, uh, Picard can't did, get the job done, and Kirk has to step in and go, "All right, you go sit down. I'll whoop this guy's ass and get the job done." You didn't, you, you didn't have the setup that that Picard has. And here you have a ship's counselor that's gonna hunt you down and be like. You know, she came right to his. She knew something was horribly wrong because she sensed it. Came to his quarters and started working on him. He knows if if he's going to cry and address this with another person, here's the time and place to do it in a confidential way without undermining his authority to the crew. You know, it's it it's it's just supposed to be a more quote unquote advanced humanity or a more you know. You know the. You know when he gets onto the bridge, that's when he'll bite his, you know, bite his lip. And he was just being pissed off to everybody before this moment. So, right. I don't. I. I think this scene really works because it's it's a very powerful scene. He's he's just realized that the decisions he's made, worked. You know, he thought they'd worked out perfectly. Here's another of things not working out the way, that that, that they should. He'd. He got his career at Starfleet without having to settle down and have kids and have a family, and he had, you know, a a, a brother and a and a nephew who could be his kid by proxy, and that was and the family line wasn't going to be, you know, polished off, 
and you know he had it all go and now that's all done and all of a sudden his decisions have meant the end of the whole picard line you know so See, you're gonna love the book that i'm gonna talk about when this is all over then because yeah there's very strong parallels there but I, I, you know my my point was though is that this is this is picard's first outing on the big screen you know in, in Kirk's first outing, he got back together with all his old buds and watched his ex-wife get horribly mangled in a transporter accident, didn't shed a tear. Second movie, loses his best friend, doesn't shed a tear. Third he almost movie, does. He chokes his, up. He chokes up, but he doesn't, he, and he doesn't shed a tear. Third movie, his son gets killed doesn't shed a tear although he does turn he away drops, from the audience so he, he drops he to the ground he he he's he's so hurt that he reels backwards and falls to the ground melodramatically you know fourth movie he gets fish instead of the girl doesn't cry about it you know fifth movie he he gets to meet god doesn't cry sixth movie he gets sentenced to life imprisonment on a fucking asteroid doesn't cry about it Picard, very first movie, Blatton. What, 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 you know, all I can say is, what do you want? You want Kirk? You want Picard to be Kirk? He ain't, you know, what? It's the. I just want him to man up a little bit. Uh, yeah, you gotta wait a few seasons. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's coming, sliding into a stop like that. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this would be a time right here when the sweeping the phaser across the room would come in very, very <laughs> helpful. Well, if you notice, there's been a lot of dodging of, like, Soren's first shot that he took at him was, like, point blank and just sailed right between them, like. See, Worf just not having a good showing in this movie so far. That's stock footage. Lot of stock footage in this movie. I like that shot. Yeah. That's cool. Kaboom. Yeah, you don't get a shot. You don't get a feel of something just hit it. it you feel like it got hit and swept along. It's really mm -hmm. neat. And one of these say hi in Klingon. One of these Klingon dudes is Brian Thompson, who I always like. I like him in anything I see him in because he's just one fucked up looking dude. He is not pretty. There's a great little bit of Malcolm. There's a great little bit of uh, of uh, acting coming up here with him at the end of. Uh, he's a great actor anyway. He he just yeah. is. Oh, no, he's, you know, I mean, anybody just has to watch A Clockwork Orange to see that he'll go to any, he'll do anything to get his, you know, these, these, these roles are just cruising for him. He, this, this isn't a, you know, he doesn't have to do anything like, he doesn't have to lick anybody's boot or, you know, get his nutsack grab or anything <laughs> in the, like in other movies. I remember there being a bit of a, a little bit of a fan outcry about, Lursa and uh, Bator getting killed off in this, and I'm like, really? You miss these people? I mean, they're they're such shit characters. I was see, glad I they love got that. I blow the hell up. 
I love that that little scene where he's just like waves waves. It's just like because I'm they watching stink. it. Yeah, I'm sitting there thinking, man, he must be in the because I used to work with the, this big fat. My boss was a big fat Mexican guy, and this other big fat guy, and they both had bad teeth. And just horrible fucking breath. And like, if you got one of them on one side of you and the other on the other side, and they're both talking to you, that's what I was watching. That going, man, he must be in just like a crosswind from hell. And then the next thing I know, he's like waving in front of him when they're done. It's just like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you smell like sure shit. Was. Yeah, and it's great. It was Malcolm. It was you know, it was it was it's Malcolm McDowell, right? Yeah. I, I keep I I, I want to make sure I don't want to get, get it I keep yeah Roddy's Cornelius I don't want to I don't want to say Roddy McDowell but you know you you could tell he was in the moment where he's thinking these people stink you know and it was just <laughs> such a ni- natural movement I like that something else occurred to me today watching this is I you know you've on a number of different shows you have mentioned the thing that annoyed you about there was one Star Trek movie you went to. And people were all excited about seeing some new room on the Enterprise or something. Nemesis. And it occurred to me today. Oh, it was it Nemesis? Okay. Because mm-hmm. this is the first time we actually see the interior of the uh, map room Gein- or whatever. Oh, well, yeah. Gein- also stellar photography. Yeah. But right here with Guinan, because I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think we ever get anything with Guinan, you know, like in her personal life in the series other than. There's a great two-parter um, where they go back in time to it's like the ni- I think it's the 19th century, and Guinan is there. So you know we see her out from behind the bar. But uh, you know as far as during the regular course of the series, I'm pretty sure she's almost always like on duty in the bar. You know what I mean? You never see her like in downtime or anything, or, or rarely anyway. I know she has a phaser. Is she a character who's gotten expounded on in the expanded Star Trek novel universe? Because yeah, what's her deal? But, isn't does isn't she really really old? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, if she's she, from this when, like long lived race, well, she's the same race as uh, as Soren. Okay. Yeah, but she's because uh, this is where they were actually named for the first time as well. Because her race was never named in the series, and then this movie came out, and all of a sudden, yeah, they're Elorians, and we've we've known about them all this time. And I'm like, wait a minute, where the hell did that come from? So when they that's... went to 19th century Earth, she was on 19th century yep. Earth. She was there, and she was friends with uh, with Samuel Clemens. Oh, I've so yeah, so it sounds like her character right. is a very interesting character. Oh, she's a very interesting. Yeah, I've always liked her. You know, I mean, I'm kind of hot and cold on on Whoopi Goldberg, you know, but this role was great, and she was great in the role. She really did a good job, and I, I like just about everything uh, with Guinan that we ever got because she was just a, she was she was a, an interesting character because she was kind of a, a cipher. Well, you know what I mean? From this time period and back, I always thought Whoopi Goldberg was kind of hot. Like the modern Whoopi Goldberg of l- lately, sick, not sick man, not anymore. But at that time period, I would have, I would have gotten a piece of Whoopi Goldberg had I had the opportunity, like Ted Danson. I was just I gonna say, right Ted. on that. You know, Ted Danson. Think about it. Ted Danson could have had any lady in the world. He hooked up with Whoopi Goldberg, and he not only hooked up with Whoopi Goldberg, but he was all into it, all into that, all in that. So something's going on there. Something's going on with Whoopi Goldberg. I think, uh, yeah. 
She's no Mala, mind you. There, there have been some, uh, some decent books and some not so decent books with, uh, that have expanded on, uh, on Guinan's character. Because I want to say that she, I think she played a pretty decent part in that in the first giant Star Trek novel, which was uh, what the hell was the name of that? I think it was Metamorphosis. I think it was a Peter David book, and it was. Ooh, I think I have that. Yeah, that's actually a really good book, but um, you kind of got to read it with the understanding that it was one of the first Borg stories, like after like the introduction of the Borg. So some of the stuff ended up being altered later on, you know, by things that came later in the series and stuff. But that was a really good book. And she was a pretty good character in a book I didn't like very much, which it was this book called um, Engines of... I think it was called Engines of Destruction. And it was this book where... Did you ever see the episode with Scotty on Next Gen? You know, I don't think I did. I remember when it happened, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Because that's something else that doesn't jibe with this movie very well, is that when they find Scotty and revive him, he makes a comment about, you know, when Riker tells him that he's from the Enterprise, he says something to the effect of, oh, I bet you Jim Kirk came after me. Well, that episode was made before this movie was made, so you would think that they would find a way to sync the two of them up, and they didn't. They they totally dropped the ball with all that, and fans called them out for it. But anyway, in the Next Generation timeline, Scotty's still alive, and he's out there somewhere with a with a borrowed shuttlecraft from, from this Enterprise. And in that novel, Engines of Destruction, he... Uh, he decides to go back in time and save Kirk from Kirk's death um, on the Enterprise B, not realizing Kirk didn't die and that he was that actually would really very fuck everything vital. up. Yeah, yeah, he does, and he rescues Kirk. Well, by rescuing Kirk, um, it throws this movie all off, and Picard's not able to stop Soren. And it, you know, basically disappeared. The Enterprise is, is destroyed at Viridian Three. Well, then when the Borg come to Earth in the next movie, there's nobody to stop them because Picard and his crew are dead. And so when uh, they go back to their time, I'm trying to remember how the hell that story. See, that doesn't went. work out. That doesn't work out right because well, I, once you're in the Nexus, you're in the Nexus forever. Right. So even though, even if they t take kirk out of it before he gets in it he's still in it you know what i mean because it's timeless it doesn't well, make sense about but that. it's outside of time that was actually it's... something else i i was going to ask you about later on in this when we see picard and soren get pulled into the nexus even though picard then goes back in time with kirk and stops him is soren still in there somewhere or did well, it when, now when, never when we, I'm going to cover that when we get to that because this goes to a this leads to a a conversation. I can't remember who it was, but somebody had a theory about that or was talking about someone who had a theory about that. That I pretty much am, I don't take it as that's what happened, but I see it as a as a possibility when we get to that when we get to that part. I like the way that, oh, Picard handles data's little meltdown here yeah. in the 
Uh, I like another that thing. scene a lot. I remember seeing that scene on um, on uh, what the hell is the Jay Leno show called? The Tonight is that the Tonight Show? I saw Patrick Stewart was on the Tonight Show doing promotional stuff for this movie, and that was the first full scene I saw from this movie was that interplay, and the crowd, the audience went fucking bananas over it. They they loved it because it was data, also data showing emotion. This right. one thing about stellar cartography is. Totally no need to have this in the ship. That why why don't they just go into um the the holodeck and run up a stellar cartography subroutine? You know what I mean? Where they yeah, go but the holodeck's supposed to be for like entertainment and stuff, you know? Yeah, but if you had a holodeck, why not use it for practical methods like this where you could? That pissed me off if I wanted to go in and and you know do the holodeck debbie does dallas and these assholes are in there looking at stars and shit that'd piss yeah. me right off you my my downtime is important to me well well here's here's another thing why not build two holodecks a work oh, holodeck I, I and a play have, holodeck yeah i think they but, have more than one that's that's what i'm saying something like this you don't need really to you could build a subroutine that does it that just has all the you know the star maps in it and you go in and you, like cosmos you know they just sort of do like this they just sort of fly around you you know well here's a super geeky quibble for about this scene but i, I can't help it. it it has always occurred to me that it's very 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 obvious that they're either blue or green screening it in this because wouldn't this give you a little bit of vertigo to be standing there watching that shit, you know, totally surrounding you on that IMAX screen and it's wavering and zooming in and doing all this. I mean, it seems like it'd make you a little, a little dizzy. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And you don't see Picard like waving or, or like grabbing the handrails going, you know, when, when they did that big zoom up a minute ago, it, I think it would have been really cool if he like grabbed the handrail. Yeah. like, whoa, you know, and had a moment of dis- that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A moment of disorientation, you know, but they just kind of take it in stride. Yeah, maybe they're used to it. Maybe they've grown up around IMAX sense around. <laughs> Stock footage. It's pretty cool, though. It was neat seeing that on the big screen. Although I was never much of a of a fan of the design of the Enterprise D, it was pretty cool to see it on the big screen. Well, you don't have to worry about that for <laughs> much longer. Did you get anything from the tuner? No. His heart just wasn't in it. See, they excised a lot of the uh, Soren torturing. That was Brian Thompson right there. They excised a lot of the subplot with with Soren torturing Jordy LaForce, but a number of his lines and the doctor's lines later on don't make any sense at all because the the thing with with uh, Soren he he like put this like probe thing into Jordy's heart and was torturing him. Oh, is that why he said he didn't have the heart? Yeah, and then later on when when she mm-hmm. get when he gets back to the Enterprise, the doctor says something about, you know, your heart's going to be all right or something like that, and those lines don't really make any sense without knowing about the scene that they cut. I like the uh, the whole idea of the the female Klingon captains. It's very Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh yeah, let's have female Klingons now. 
Well, they were recurring characters on, on Next Gen 4. There was a whole subplot with them trying to... They were basically the the instigators behind this one like pretty epic storyline with Worf and you know all these you know internal politics on on the Klingon world that was threatening to like tear the empire apart and everything I'm I'm kind of looking forward to when we get to that era because that was a really good storyline where Worf got his discommendation and all that that was that was some good stuff it was good science fiction I like the part right there where uh where Soren says, you know, we don't have time for this bullshit. Just blow them up. And she's like, dude, that's a galaxy class. <laughs> what are you yeah, yeah. I need match for these. <laughs> you blow them up. You nuts? I love that. I really do love the lighting in this. Mm-hmm. I love, there's a whole Star Trek almost style of when the screen comes up and the captains of the other ship and they always do that sort of tip their head back and, right. you know, it's it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> and there's always a scene with, you know, the second in command standing up and like there's a guy pacing behind them too on each ship there's a guy pacing behind the commanders it's just awesome dude i'm telling you if anybody from paramount or whoever the hell owns start the star trek franchise these days is listening i would totally shell out money to watch a, a riker in command mo series of movies how is how, how old is frankie frankie's these days you know i'm not sure how old he is Maybe maybe they're just waiting for the technology. I'm telling you, they should do a next gen. They they should just go CG and do a CG next gen CG, old school. You know. The old a CG old school would still be kind of missing without. Dude, before they're all gone, Kelly and Duhan. Before they're all gone, I would love for somebody to do, uh, a CG. You know, what What I feel like this movie, as much as I love this, you know, I still feel, I don't know, cheated, I guess, that we never, we've still, to, at least to my knowledge, have never truly gotten the next-gen TOS mashup that I always wanted, you know, where you had the true integration of both crews, you yeah, know what I mean? Instead of just a, this is a passing of the torches. You exactly. Know, this is obviously yeah. a, a torch passing ceremony rather than, uh, you know. I mean, we got little pieces of it. You know, we got you know, uh, you know, DeForest Kelly and and uh, Jimmy Doohan got to guest star. You know, and uh, and Nimoy. You know, Spock was on Next Gen. You know, we got that. And you know, here's Kirk and Next Gen and stuff like that. We got. That one book, uh, Federation, where they, the two enterprises kind of sort of, you know, were nose to nose for a little bit and all that. But I mean, that was about it. I mean, again, to my knowledge, there was never that that classic, you know, Kirk's crew hanging out with with Picard's crew, you know, and and totally, you know, the the two of them having to work together against a common enemy type of thing, or even battling each other. Which I guess was actually one of the storylines tossed around for this movie, but for some reason somebody nixed it. 
I don't think Roddenberry would be too into that idea. Was yeah. Well, that that is a little bit too fanboyish, anyway. You know, right, right. I, I would really rather it be more like, and I, I don't know if you've read the story yet, but there's that story that we'll get to eventually covering the the DC Comics, where uh, at the end of uh, the Naked Time, they overshoot. Going, no, it's not the Naked Time. It's uh, tomorrow is yesterday where they overshoot going back to their own time after their little adventure with Captain Christopher. Uh-huh. And they wind up 20 years in the future, and they meet up with Admiral Kirk and the crew of the Excelsior. Oh. And I could see something like, you know, and then they have to work together to solve a common problem before, like, I don't know, like a paradox is going to destroy the universe or some shit. I could see, I mean, this movie could have been that. It could have very easily been that, you know, where... For, you know, there's some wonky friggin' time accident, and one or the other of the enterprises winds up somewhere it's not supposed to be, and then you've got, you know, initially maybe even Kirk and Picard squaring off Marvel Comics style before they realize, hey, we're all friends here, we got to work together against a common problem, you know, which is you know saving the universe from entropy or you know saving it from some. You know, from Soren, who's fucking with the time stream, you know, and is going to destroy the universe. You know, something like that. I think that's ultimately what what the fandom was kind of looking for and didn't really get. You know what um, I mean? A lot of times, I got to say it, sorry, fandom, but a lot of times you really shouldn't get what the fandom wants because it's, the, you know, you, you'll be... Not, but the the thing with Star Trek is almost every situation has sort of been forced together already anyway. Right. So, you know, it's it would be kind of hypocritical to say, well, it would be very unreal. You know, why of all the crews of all the starships in the Federation and stuff would you get those? You know, because those ones had TV shows in reality that they would meet up with each other. It's highly improbable and stuff. But, you know, that ship sailed a long time ago. Right. With you know, conforming to reality. I like this because it ultimately ends up to be a very personal thing with Soren and and Picard dealing with their grief in two different ways. And I think Picard subconsciously or not even so subconsciously might want to go on to the get, on, you know, he's here right now because of the chance that he might end up in the Nexus because it would be the cure to the grief that he's going through right now, you know. So, and 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 Kirk uh, being the one who's Kirk's dead already, you know, quote unquote dead already. He's sort of at peace with all his stuff, and he's the one who sort of you know br- you know brings Picard, brings balance to the force of of <laughs> you know of of the expressions of you know Picard expressing his grief and trying to save the universe and Soren ready to destroy it over his grief. You know, I'm totally fine with Kirk being the chosen one. <laughs> I bet you he's got a just murderous midichlorian count. Okay, this part is just plain stupid. <laughs> really? I like this part. Oh, God. Come on. I like the reaction of everybody just like, Jesus Christ. Oh, to answer your question though, when I saw Frakes at uh, at MegaCon, he's he's looking a little 
he, he's definitely aging. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I'm is not going to say a he's looking... stay puffed. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. He's, he's starting to get that, you know, Star Trek V look, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he's, a little, he's a little beefy. This reminds me of the view outside of a like uh, Imperial Walker. <laughs> and I like this. As soon as they have the information, they're just like, "Go, go, go! Destroy, destroy, yep. destroy!" There's an oh, pop, pop, pop! Look, no hesitation. Just like there it is. Get him. Okay. Destroy, destroy. See, I love the music in this part too. That's why Klingons show up so much. They're, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> There's, I, see, I really like this, and I hate to, I hate to nitpick it because this is actually one of my favorite uh, action sequences in any in any Star, of the Trek. Star Treks. You know, because you, you've got a full-out battle, which I always felt like, you know, sorry, TOS movies, uh, there just wasn't enough shit blowing up a lot of the time. So I like this a lot. But it seems like after, you know, the second or third solid hit and watching, you know, photons go right through the shields that somebody should have remembered that they came up with that whole shield modulation trick against the Borg and started rotating the shield frequencies. Right. Right. Plus, there's a huge, huge friggin' nitpick coming up here in a minute that I'm sorry, I can't, I can't turn it off. Every time I watch this movie, it drives me fucking bananas. Now, this was driving me crazy earlier today. I was trying to remember there's an actual episode of the series where this same series of events happens down there in engineering. I mean, right down to the dialogue is exactly the same with Jordy saying, you know, hey, you know, put something on that thing over there and hey, we need to stop this leak. And then he closes a panel and starts to walk away from it. And as soon as he starts to walk away, the panel explodes behind him. And that's when they know, man, we're screwed and there's going to be a warp core breach. But for the life of me, I couldn't remember what the hell episode it was. Hopefully somebody will write in or, or post it on the forum. I'm sure... Biblio Mike or somebody knows what episode Can that remember, is. Yeah. But yeah, they, they face the same exact threat in another episode. I'm trying to remember how, how that resolves because obviously the ship doesn't blow up in the other episode. But this I, I thought the slow motion shot was a little cheesy, but I think they just wanted to. That's a spectacular fall. The oh, guy yeah. does it into the chairs. <laughs> slow, slow mo shots really aren't too. And don't All right, really watch this. Right here. This is my nitpick. Fire. Did he not order a spread of torpedoes? Yes, he did. That's not a spread. That's a That's single friggin' torpedo. And this is all stock footage from Star Trek VI. Which also kind of irritates me. But if they had to use that to save money so that they can the give me that spectacular crash. saucer crash, then they can use all the stock footage they want to because I love that saucer crash. Cheesy. Cheesy. See, I, lo- I, I love all these scenes of um, Picard testing the borders. Mm-hmm. Just sort of screwing with them. Just yeah, sort of re- remember taking- that later on. Because that's something else that occurred to me today watching this. When they get back from the Nexus later on, 
and it's Kirk and Picard versus Soren, suddenly the force field just kind of forgotten about because there's a whole lot of traveling and falling up and down this mountain face and nobody gets zapped by the 50 gigawatt force field. Oh, you're right. Ever. You're right. That's just sort of tossed right out. I never <laughs> noticed that. You're right. It's occurred a kind of an today important the... plot element at this point in time. Yep. yep. It occurred to me today for the first time when uh, there was a part where it was the part where Soren was sliding on his ass cheeks all the way down the mountain. I nice. thought, hey, wasn't there supposed to be a force field here somewhere? I do like that this is just sort of a nowhere planet. He's just sort of got this bare bones structure, and it's it's almost you, you might as well almost have like Acme missile launcher, you know, on the side of his his missile launcher. I think Picard needs to go to the midway and play like one of those ring toss games or something. That was a damn good shot right there. Uh huh. I'm sure they work on hand. Eye. He's, he's right here. Watch he's this. He's a fencer. Boom. Same exact. Damn, I wish I could remember what episode that was. We have a coolant leak. This probably like a hand. Just set everybody out, but that woman ran in and never came back out. Wait, there she is. I like that he does that little breakdance move where he sort of <laughs> rolls over and then goes on his side in that in the like casual like. And once again, why do you have kids on? Triple. I like that you see some other aliens and stuff for a change. Yeah, never on the bridge, though. Starfleet bigots. It's very convenient that the computer Arr. tells you just exactly how long it's going to take till the ship blows up from this, you know, accident that happened. They always do. They always do. An alien that did the same thing. Well, that was a self-destruct sequence, though, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's always it the same thing. It's always a voice just going, five minutes and counting. I mean, a self-destruct, I can understand, but this is an actual accident where, like, something, you know, happened that wasn't supposed to happen, so it's just odd that the computer knows exactly how long it's going to be till the ship goes kablooey, you know? Oh. Uh... I mean, I wish they had diagnostic equipment that accurate when I take my car to get fixed, you know what I mean? Now we're going to get to another part that I think is a little bit cheesy coming What's up that? here soon. When he launches that missile, it really hits the sun very quickly. I've thought a lot about that over the years. Does it warp come, or something? Does it go well, I've to come to the conclusion speed? that there's actually a lot more time passed. Because I think we get a little visual marker because there's a scene where, where Picard watches the, the rocket go up and there's an obvious contrail behind the rocket. And then the scene shifts to something else, I forget what. And then when it shifts back to the sun again, the sun's going dark and the contrail is gone. So I always kind of took that as like a, a little visual cue to the audience that a lot more time has passed. I would hope so because being you know usually you're far away enough from a sun if you're not getting burned out that it takes a few minutes right yeah for what happens with this it's here it's you're like almost looking at the sun real time when it goes nova and that just wouldn't you know there's lots of things like you wouldn't be hearing That's these cool. sounds in space either so 
I love that little burst of the of the air from the, yes. the thrusters throws off all that like dust and debris. That's dust cool. and sparkle behind the the saucer section. Yeah, that's really boom. I think that's really awesome. But every time I see that, I can't help but think about the fact that in Star Trek the Motion Picture, their contingency plan against V'ger was to s set the ship to blow up. And Scotty had that thing about, you know, an anti-matter explosion would, you know, take out, yeah. you know, half the solar system or some shit. And I'm like, every time we've ever seen a, a starship blow up, though, it's never it's really been. Yeah, yeah, it's never been a huge deal. Well, maybe maybe it was because Scotty was setting it to, blow, you know, to really right. blow up and like, you know, crossing wires on safeties right. and stuff. Yeah, I, I like actually, this. I like this little little sequence here where he blasts a rock out, and you don't really know what happened to Picard. No, you know, and he doesn't know. You can't really tell. I guess it would be the the same thing as you know, you can blow up a nuclear weapon and just get a conventional explosion. You know, you have to actually yes. activate to the warhead. To, yeah, to to have the works? the reaction. Now, with them having expanded the sides of the bridge the way they did right there, does that mean that Picard had to give up a little bit of room in his ready room for them to expand that <laughs> wall out like that? Maybe. You would think so. It would. Be, That's a it great is. shot. Oh, yeah. It's like a UFO crashing. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a... And the funny thing is, is there's a whole... There could be a whole storyline here because there's a pre-industrial society on this planet. No, not this one on the on the neighboring planet. On the neighboring planet, this was actually a, a a small, you know, like a small subplot in one of the Shatner books, where uh, you know, yeah, at the end of the movie where we see the the Starfleet teams coming down, they weren't just picking up the people; they had to actually disassemble, yeah, the saucer, the Enterprise, and do as much damage uh, control, control as possible, so that you know. Theoretically, thousands or even millions of years from now, when the people on the next planet over start exploring space, that they're not going to learn that, you know, ancient astronauts crashed on the planet next door and, you know, like mess with their, you know, whatever, their culture, religions, whatever. Damn, I love this scene. This is one of my, I would say probably one of my top five special effects sequences ever. I just, this was the scene that made me keep going to the theater over and over and over again to see this movie because I just, I just thought it was awesome on the big screen. And this was one of the last movies I ever did go to the movies repeatedly to see, you know, in the theater. Right, right. It's been a long time since I've done that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember this came to, I think it came to our discount theater in Conyers, and I went and saw it, like, as, as often as I could just to keep seeing that scene over and over again because that is that's a hell of a good scene great special effects you know just awesome model work it just reminds me so much of a UFO that it's just mm -hmm. awesome seeing a giant Star Trek UFO going into the atmosphere when it starts heating up in the atmosphere I remember when I first started to become a fan of, of next gen I had some book or magazine or something that was all uh, like the technical, you know, the technical to do of of next gen. 
And one of the things it talked about in theory was, you know, obviously the ship separated because we saw that right from the very first episode. But then it had a thing in there about an emergency saucer separation and I'm trying to remember what they called it, like skid out landing or something like that. And I thought, man, that would be cool to see. And here you go, you know. So I was, you know, I was the biggest dorky geek in the theater watching that for the first time. I was like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. You know, here's a scene I'd actually see for a good number of years. That's a great matte painting, by the way. I wonder who did the mats for this. See, I'm wondering what guys like... uh, Hell, I don't even know if either of the Ellen Shaws are alive anymore. But guys like, say, Ellen Shaw, I wonder what they do for a living now. Because, I mean, who the hell does matte paintings in movies anymore? It's all digital now. Well, they're still doing digital matte paintings. It's still the same. It's almost the same process of painting, you know. So it it could very well be. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how old. I mean, Harrison Ellen Shaw is probably dead. But Peter Ellen Shaw was was not like an old man when he was doing working in the 70s. I remember seeing pictures of him and he was like in his like late 20s or 30s or something. He was like the legacy of his dad, you know. He right. sort of like took over he painted in the same style. I think I'm pretty sure Harrison's still alive, but yeah, Peter I believe is is long deceased now. Well, I thought I thought which one's the son? I thought Peter was the son and Harrison was the father. Oh, is that it? I'm, I'm, I think so. You know what? Yeah, you you could be right. I think Harrison's the one who started off in in uh, like Disney and right. Yeah, I I could very easily have it backwards. I, I it's been a while since. Uh, I know that I've got a really good. Um, See, I don't know about the time passing because they're both sort of look. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> See, now there's no Maybe. contrail. But that means they've been standing there with their with their hands up hand over there for like in the same position. Minutes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Okay, so here's the theory: is right at this point is the death of Jean Luc Picard when when this thing hits him. Oh, he doesn't die; he just gets sucked in. I'm saying when you get sucked in, you're dead. That remember how they were saying you can't fly a ship into it. Because right. it blows up any ship. Well, it didn't blow up the Enterprise when the em- Enterprise bumped it. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, I'm saying you. Pr- they were talking about what a magnetic disruption it was. I think it pretty much didn't. Sw- I, I, it, the this is a possibility. I don't think this is what happened. But you could probably argue that at this point, that this is like the reality of it. Um, That's wicked. That that. You know, Picard and Soren are dead, and now they're in the Nexus, and everything you see is Picard. You know, his adventure with Kirk is his way, is, you know, is almost like his heaven would be to fix the situation. He's just lost his ship, and, and, uh, the, the, uh, and, uh, a whole world full of people. So he fixes it, and he fixes it with the world, other world, you know, the Captain Kirk's help, and, you know, so basically, almost all of Star Trek surrounding P- from Picard is all going on in the Nexus. I can't remember who. Somebody brought it up on our forum, or they brought up a website of somebody who came up with a whole theory of how all of this is. You know, how you know everything after that was. 
you know, the Nexus is sort of a convenient thing. I remember at this point, I forgot that, like, you know, when he meets Guinan here, she says, well, you can exit at any time in any place that you want because we're outside of time. And that makes sense that he could get back to Soren ahead of time. But before I remembered that that happened, I was sitting here thinking about this point. How the hell are they going to, you know, ex explain that, that he can come back and... And stop that but it, it makes sense in the context of of how they paint it this reminds me a lot of um of a few um uh, back to the bins ago when you mike and i were talking about superman for the man who has everything yeah very <laughs> much very, so. very much like that story yeah happening here it's just really funny it's there's been a little time between the release of these podcasts but in the recording of them it was only a couple days ago and here we have right. almost the same situation developing you know of somebody having to give up their entire i always like that part with him hugging uh renee uh-huh well it's funny because he's got his own kids but Renee is the one who really put because Renee is the one that's actually real and that's the one who has the most effect on him, you know, in in this. And I mean, there's a scene very similar to where in the where Superman has to tell his son, I don't think you're real, you know, mm -hmm. and he doesn't really tell it to him in this one. But it's the same sort of idea. He's just like, I'm going to have to let go of my son, my family. I've always taken a, a strange comfort from the fact that you know in the future that british people are finally going to get on board with saying merry christmas as opposed to happy christmas which just just doesn't sound right to me sorry british people <laughs> i've never noticed that in this they do well of course he's french too i guess you could always write it out he's he's yes. he's he's french when he needs to be french the rest of the time he's an englishman yeah this is a pretty his it's a pretty english like those kids were pretty like they're not only english they were like charles dickens i was just like gonna english. say they're right out of a charles yes yes they are hello father <laughs> i'm oh so very happy you got me my present father Lots of ornaments that do that. In the few and space ornaments are like that, yeah. There's a missed marketing marketing opportunity right there. <laughs> Star Trek hypno bulbs. Whoa! Don't sneak up on me like that, bitch! You nearly gave me a heart attack. See, I uh, um. And at the very least, Soren wins. And he wins without destroying that world in reality. Soren does, once Once you're in the Nexus, you're in the Nexus forever. Whether you get ripped out of it or you leave it or not. Because here's Guinan right there. Right. It's almost as if the whatever the properties of the Nexus, you know, basically make a co carbon copy of your, your soul or your consciousness. So, so here's the big here's the big question there. though is that you know when when Picard and Kirk go back and stop him does nope. you know alternate timeline nope Soren still exist within nope. the the Nexus 
because the nexus, uh, they make it very obvious that the nexus is is outside of time. That's why, when that's why Guinan tells him, if you leave here, you can go anywhere. You can leave here at any time in any place, because every basically that means that all time and space are the are the same. They're all there. It's a it's some sort of unity right. there. So once you're in there, you're outside of all of that. You're outside of the right, alternate but- universes. That means everybody everybody who's ever been in there, you know. I mean, think of it from Soren's point of view. He blows up the planet. He gets sucked in. His his reality on there, whatever it was, probably didn't include Picard and Kirk. They're gone. He just goes there and, and has his – you can't take – somebody out of outside of time and space you just well, can't here, they're there here's my question though is that your theory means that the nexus not only covers all time and space but that it also branches into alternate realities and alternate yes. timelines and all dimensions. those all those are part of time and space okay and this 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 seems to be obviously outside of those G- so, given that given that it that it you know, also embrace. Don't look at the camera, kid. That it also <laughs> embraces alternate timelines. Then yes, I would buy that. That, as you say, Soren wins, or at least he, you know, an alternate he gets what timeline he wants. version of him he, he, wins. He gets what he wants, and he also yes, an alternate timeline version of. Basically, what happens is, but even if, no matter what version of Soren get, that gets in there, it's still Sor- a Soren that gets in there. And yeah, and and he sort of gets in there and and has he doesn't do it, but Picard ends up leaving and undoing the damage that he did on that timeline. So he actually gets in there and in the practical end of it, that planet doesn't get destroyed. So he 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 sort of get he sort of gets away with it clean. I like you know, this. With, yeah. But the first time you see him, he's just doing something He's simple and it. physical and just and love and life yeah he's he's going look at him you can see him going man look at that i am i'm still good i'm hacking those on the first chop you you can see the the look on his face shatner is a really good actor and hell yeah you he know is. people his his public persona and his you know his personality might be arrogant and you know almost like his person his real personality seems almost to be a caricature of Kirk, almost in reverse of what normal <laughs> actors do. But, uh, yeah, I love that. And I like, and I like it when you think of it, that this is, you know, that Picard's hitting him at the exact same, you know, this is Kirk fresh off the destro- you know, his death. I so think the next movie after this actually should have been the search for the jacket. Because he leaves the Nexus without his jacket. So what happens to it? The jacket's an actual physical it's, object that he that. took into the Nexus. I don't so think what it, happens to it. I don't think it ends up in the... I think you get vaporized and everything you see in the Nexus is a projection of... His jacket is just a projection of his mind creating the jacket around... I mean, obviously you can create whatever you want in the Nexus or the Nexus will create from what you're... What you're doing? It's it's almost like heaven as portrayed in that Robin Williams movie that came out oh, around the same time as this. You know what I mean? Where yes. you go there and it's 
it's just sort of this malleable thing that's uh, that would, this that part would... chokes me up. I always get choked up at reunited over dead pet scene. Butler. <laughs> but why? Uh, I mean, but that presupposes that he would be able to pull something out of the nexus too, which we, you know, I would. That's why I say there's a possibility that, that you just don't get out of the. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I you know it's it's like the guardian of forever. You never really see what the process is of getting out of the nexus. Right. How, do you go nexus? I want to go to the planet blah blah blah. Ten minutes before this well, happened, I want to see and, that scene because I have a theory that when we see Picard and Kirk ride nexus generated horses and they are riding out of the nexus that as soon as they materialize on Viridian 3, they fall flat on their asses. Boy, yeah. They didn't show up with horses, although that would have been really awkward. Those horses would have just tumbled off the cliff. <laughs> See, I think I, I, I read this scene now as Kirk knows exactly what's going on. Not exactly what's going on, but he knows... He's not in real, you know, he's not in a real state. But he's also thinking, you know what? I'm going to enjoy this. I'm good with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy it for a little while. You know, I'm going to appreciate while it's here and see see where it leads cuz this is pretty interesting and play along he's playing along with it, you know. But he's not uh, when I first saw this, I sort of saw it as he, him being trapped in it, you know, in the reality of it and not realizing but no, I think he totally realizes it. And, and the minute that they find out that they can come out at any point in time, I would be like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy myself in the Nexus for a little while. Yep. Because as a matter of fact, you know what? I think I'm going to pump a little iron. <laughs> I think I'm going to stay in the Nexus and, and like get, a, get an aerobic workout with some ladies, pump some iron, and maybe um, – Nexus me up some uh, Taekwondo teachers, <laughs> and uh, so when I do leave, that I'll be all the more able to uh, kick the shit out of Soren. So, yeah, but since really since time doesn't matter, you know, you could have yourself some a good old time in the Nexus. Oh, I had I no prize something this afternoon. My wife says she goes, "That's an awfully retro uh, toaster for the 24th century." And I said, "Well, you know, Kirk is an antique collector, so maybe it's an antique uh, toaster." Mm -hmm. I was actually proud of myself for that explanation. Well, look See, at the, look a, at this camp. It's it's a, this oh, is a yeah. totally you know full of old and you know I mean all the stuff in there are super antiques. They're kind of old now by our standards, but. See, this is a scene that it took me a long, long time to warm up to because up to this point, I was really enjoying this first meeting between them. But this scene right here seemed very out of character to me for Kirk that he would basically be going, oh, universe is in danger. Eh, you know what? Screw the universe. I, I, I need this. You know, this, this is me. And Picard and, never tells him, like, there's 150 million people's lives right. at stake. You know, that's a big but deal. I, I have since come around to this scene, and I actually like it a lot, because <laughs> I've come to feel that Kirk has a legitimate point. He sacrificed everything, being the captain of the Enterprise. And at the end of the day, as he says, what did it get him? You know, mm -hmm. he, he, he retired to find himself... 
you know, it, it's very much a classic hero story that the hero can't have the girl. You know, the hero can't have the family and, and, a, and a true life. He's dedicated to being the hero. It's one of the reasons that I really liked Die Hard 4 a whole lot, you know, whereas a lot of other people, I, I, I'm led to believe, didn't. I, I like that the, movie, too. Yeah, I liked the scene between um, McLean and the kid where, you know, the kid was kind of in awe of McLean as the hero, and McLean basically lays it out that, yeah, well, you know, the at the end of the day, being the hero is not all it's cracked up to be. Look at how shitty my life is. You know, I, I've got nothing to show for being the hero. That's kind of how I feel about Kirk in, in this part. You know, it's, it's what I finally came around to is, is understanding that it's not that he's callous and uncaring and everything. It's that he's done his part, you know, he's right. he's well, kind of served his time. And you, this is a movie where you find out that these guys don't get to have the family like you just said, they don't get to have the family. Mm-hmm. And 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 but at the same time, they think to the and I'm somebody who's decided not to get married and have kids and all that and and had had has had to have thought think about this sort of stuff, and but they have, you know, as as ca- starship captains of the Enterprise, what they have is their story behind them, and that doesn't give you anything but something that's like behind you. It's, it gives you a legacy. <laughs> it gives you something when you're dead, really, more than anything else, you know, uh, But it, which m- normal people get from their kids, you know, will pass it on. Whereas Kirk has passed on his stuff through all the Starfleet cadets. Right. Who, who've, you know, been inspired by him and, and emulated him and studied that was his... Shatner jumping that ravine, I'll eat my hat. <laughs> All I know is they picked the strongest horse in the stable for this shot, this day. I like this. I, I like that, like... I do, too. You know, that's that's his breaking point is... And then, you know, right now he's made his decision. As soon as he turned and saw Picard coming, he's just like, all right, this is fake. I'm not going to get a real charge out of this because I know it's fake, you know? I thought you were and, talking about just the the simple fact that they're they're riding. You know, see one thing. Again, I I think he know he also takes, knows that this guy's not going to leave him alone. That reality's not going to right. You know, this is a point. Reality's catching up to him, and there's, and, you know, and what's funny is everybody like Soren and 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 Guinan are like once you're in there, you're never going to want to leave. But these two are both like. They really don't go through a whole lot of uh, torture to uh, to get out of the nexus, you know, no. because the the next because it's almost like the nexus has nothing to offer them. Well, see, once that they don't Picard get out of real life starts working on Kirk, I buy that with Kirk coming around to realize that, you know, this is all just a fantasy and, you know, I don't want to live. But I, I do feel that Picard comes around a little too quick and easy in this movie. I, I think a little m- more time could have been spent with. Oh, especially the fact that he just lost his whole family, you know, right. that, uh, that it's sort of at his weakest point as far as family goes. That, yeah, that he might have indulged in it a little more. But I do feel like this movie takes too much criticism because one thing that I've always thought that was done masterfully is that if you're not going to make this a movie 
of Kirk versus Picard, then what you have to do is find a way to make them work on screen together that's completely believable. And finding the commonalities between these two men was a stroke of genius. I mean, this yes. simple thing with the horse riding was a stroke of genius because, you know, in real life, this is what Shatner does, you know, is, is the whole, you know, he's big into the horse thing. And then we've seen, you know, in some select episodes of Next Gen that Picard was big into horses. So this was a, a common thing. And you could yeah. see if Kirk had lived, well, these guys you, could, could be pals. You know, I did mean, did you they, notice did you notice the nice little bit of horse acting that Kirk did? Oh, when yeah. He si sidled up to Picard uh -huh. with his horse. You know, that was that was awesome. He he actually he actually put his Kirk Shatner body language into his horse. It was awesome. Dude, I so strongly, strongly, strongly suggest sometime that you get a hold of and read the uh, the. Now, Shatner. why aren't there two two uh, Picards here too? Yeah, I know. I thought of that one time watching this before. I, it's funny I didn't think of that today when I was making my notes, but yeah, I have thought of that in the past. It would have been so, neat if there were two Picards, and at the end, one of the Picards just shoved the other Picard off the cliff and goes, "Okay, <laughs> we'll solve problem solved." Uh, Kirk. He's James T. Kirk. Yeah, I know. It's a historic moment happening there. <laughs> He's like, fuck this. I'm not battling Kirk. I'm out of here. <laughs> you can get the launcher. I'll go kick his ass. Yeah. <laughs> See, a lot of people just hate this, but I... I, I like, like the this. inauspicious death of Kirk. I like it happening on a cheesy set. I do. I really do. I remember watching I like this. They went back and did it a little grand because I, you know, yeah, falling off a cliff is still not exactly the way I would have liked to see Kirk go out. But have you ever seen the original death of Kirk in this movie? I have. I don't really remember what it was. Yeah, it was. It was shit. He gets shot in the back. It was That's right. And it was like, wow, yeah, it would have it would have been a, a real downer. Well, the thing is, you see, like Kirk, Kirk, Kirk has had his his real death, his saving the Enterprise death, and uh, this is sort of just like, you know, one for the road. It's just like, <laughs> you know, a basic mano. A mano. <laughs> I know, classic. <laughs> Does it remind you of playing oh, on the monkey bars at school or something? It's just. <laughs> I just like the sound of when Kirk really, really connects, connects with, with someone's yeah. face. <laughs> oh. That's awesome. He must be so out of breath with that girdle on, man. Stop <laughs> it. Show some respect. Whatever. <laughs> but, um,. Yeah, I like that this is just that it's like a cheesy little battle and that it, that you know, it's not some super dramatic death. It's just sort of it just yep. sort of happens, you know. I I I know a lot of people just hated that. Really? I know I know like oh, I know our group was pretty split. Oh my ass. Yeah, I know. He must have the worst case of rope burn on his hands anyway by this point with that slide he did a couple seconds ago. 
Dude, I highly suggest that you get a hold of the the Kirk books written by Shatner because they take place after this movie. And right, and it's what great. do they There's... sort of extract him from the Nexus or something, right? No, no. I, I don't want to spoil it for you on how Kirk comes back, but Kirk comes back and he lives in the 24th century and he and Picard actually become very good friends. And it may sound weird and, and fanboyish or what, but it, it's done so believably. And it, it kind of just picks up right here where you can kind of see, you know, the, the budding beginnings of a friendship had Kirk lived. And the books kind of pick up and run in that direction. I enjoyed the hell out of them. And I think you would, too. I think you'd really like them. Well, just here's the thing. Read here's the, the thing. return. Read the return because that, that's still the best one. I have that one. Yeah, it, it, and see what you think. When you think about it, the funny thing is, is, is you know, Picard has been captain, has done more episodes of Star Trek than Shatner ever did. You know, mm -hmm. he's had more screen time as captain of the Enterprise. So, so both of these guys have paid their dues. You know, that's what they got in common. They both have paid their dues as Enterprise captains and. And it would be interesting to see their differing, you know, it, once again, it's, it would, it would be just sort of like the Genghis Khan, um, well, they, they, Lincoln show, you know, they, you would yeah. have a little bit of Oscar and Felix. Well, um, what, what's really cool is on. that, you know, this movie really plays, like I say, very, I think the, the scenes between them play so well because it plays on their commonalities. But what I liked about the books was that, yes, it plays on their commonalities, but it also you can see their their friendship actually being very natural because Picard comes to sort of take Spock's place because uh -huh. you can see Picard being the more logical sober. Think yeah. things yeah exactly sobering you know he's not as impetuous and everything like Kirk and so they do kind of become fast friends this... in the fact that you know they have kind of opposite personalities linked by some common is, experience and you know common interests and i liked their dynamic in in those i like it in this movie Kirk but I and like spock ever meet up in that universe and yes, those stories yes, i was yes. gonna say they'd almost have to you know yeah, Kirk would have to look at that shot of of um oh that is <laughs> hard taking to watch. The every, yeah it's that's like, hard to watch every time i see this it, just, it does it's just like a slug in the gut but yeah they do get the old gang back together because in the 24th century uh, McCoy, Spock, and Scotty are still alive. And see, Scotty skipped over all those years. So he's still right, the, same he's young. the last time <laughs> quote, that... Unquote, young. <laughs> quote, young. He's still the same age as the last time that, that Kirk saw him. So, you know, they've got that in common. And then, of course, Spock's long-lived. The only one that's a little wonky in those books is McCoy because, you know, here he is like 140 years old, yet he's still running around with his, his pals, you know, on adventures and stuff. Oh, really? You'd think he would be still in some sort of space old old folks home. You'd no, think there's... these... Another, here's another um, little quibble is, if you had a rocket, don't you think it would have a fail-safe that would say, okay, this thing's locked down, I better not blow up? <laughs> right now or launch you know i don't know if it blew up or if it just you know fired off its rockets and then blew up everything around it i don't know what the it's funny my screensaver or my um 
background on my screen changes every minute. And while we were talking about McCoy, the um, picture of McCoy and his old man makeup from the original series show where they ah. where they go old popped up. So it was a nice coincidence. I like that shot of the Nexus just sort of silently, uh, you know, disappearing into the into the sunset. And once again, I like that his death, that he doesn't get a really dramatic, you know. It's not like Yoda biting it. Oh, God. <laughs> Jean-Luc! What? There is another captain of the Enterprise. Oh. out of danger yeah this one doesn't quite pack the punch of of the no. spock death but i i was i was misty seeing this for the first time i uh, from the first time i saw it i always knew like the last line hit kirk's last line was a chatner edition He turns his head a little too quick right there for a guy that just, he's got to be all busted up inside. Well, he just did a, he, when he said the word fun, he also did a nice little dramatic release of a little trickle of blood out of his mouth too. Yeah. He's a pro. I love that his last slide. Now, here's another thing is, is this Picard's little secret? Because... No, there's I no, I think no he mention, was... no there's no mention of anybody going that's what Kirk's body's over there, you know, and I and... think he was just doing it to, you know, out of <laughs> respect and all, although it does mean that he hauled Shatner's big ass all the way up to the top the of that mountain. There. But still, I I think that it's meant to, you know, it's meant to show some respect and all that. I just, I just sort of, I, I didn't know if it was something he wasn't, what didn't bring up, if it, because nobody's ever like, are we gonna go get Kirk's body from there? Or, I can't believe you met Kirk, or, you know, or something. I'm telling you, dude, you gotta or, read the or, return. Okay. Because that's that's pretty much, well, Ashes right of from Eden, here. Ashes of Eden, both starts and finishes, where Spock comes to Viridian Three to reclaim Kirk's body. And at the end of Ashes of Eden, um, he sees a transporter beam take Kirk's body. And that's kind of the big, whoa, what just happened moment that kicks off the return. And I'm telling you, the return is, uh, it's phenomenal. It sh I wish so badly it had been a movie because it's one of the greatest Star Trek adventures because it's got everybody. I mean, everybody that survived, you know, from the original series into the next generation timelines in it, all the all the next generation guys, of course, are in it. And uh, I think it might have even had a little bit of some of the, the DS9 people, too. I think I can't remember. I know eventually, eventually Kirk would go on kind of a whirlwind tour of the 24th century and meet pretty much everybody. I can't remember if he does that in the actual return or not. But you, know, you got to remember, too, that at the end of this movie. The Enterprise is destroyed. 
one of the big plot points of the return was, uh, you know, all these basically homeless characters pull together for this this big adventure, and they basically make a new enterprise. You know, they they get a ship to do their adventure, and then they ended up like. I think they like laser etch or something into the hull, the name Enterprise, so that they're all, you know, Kirk, you know, Kirk and his surviving people and Picard and his people, they're all kind of they're united on this Enterprise. new Enterprise. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I'm telling you, I think you would really enjoy it. <laughs> Spiner hates cats in real life. Really? You yeah. can tell. He, you can tell that he's not... Really too into handling the cat. It's a friend, whatever that cat is, it's a one of the friendliest cats, like actor cats I ever saw in the earlier <laughs> scene where it's like trying to get it to pet him. That cat's really all over him, you know? I'm trying to figure out if that's just charred wall or what. It looks yeah. like almost like rock. It's weird. Yeah. Now, what was that book that Picard was recovering? That was his family album that he was looking at. Oh, right. That scene with Troy earlier. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's supposed to be, like, burned up, like there was a fire or what. What that's... Oh no. I wonder if that's the actual set and they busted up, you know, busted it up like that for the for the movie. I would definitely be like, let's unbolt that chair. I'm taking that sucker home, man. That's want to watch TV in it. I'm put a hole in it, and it'll be like idiocracy. I like the little nod to the original series here. It says Picard to Farragut. Now the Farragut was the ship that Kirk served on as a lieutenant in that episode uh, Obsession with the gas creature. Remember he tells oh, the story about how right. he could have saved his captain, but he froze up, and that's why he's so hard on the young guy that that fr does the same thing, essentially. Freezes up, and Kirk, like, chews his ass out, and then I think it's McCoy or somebody who does some investigating and finds out that Kirk did the same exact thing when he was a lieutenant. That was the Farragut in that story. What would you think, man? I really like it. It's actually one of my favorite Star Trek yep. movies sitting it's right here. now. It wasn't. It wasn't before. Well, it's technically today because I watched it after midnight. Well, no, it's after midnight again. But yeah, it it wasn't until I started watching it again yesterday. But uh, I my opinion of it improved a lot. I I um. Have you I don't know if I'm more. I haven't seen it since it first. I literally the before I watched it to to do this, I hadn't seen it since I saw it in the theater the first time, which wow. was probably like in the opening weekend. So yeah, and because I was kind of lukewarm on it, you know, I was like that was pretty good, and then I just never, I've I've never revisited any of the next gen movies since my initial view. I, I've viewed all of them in the theater, and Nemesis. I remember going. That might be the last 
Star Trek movie I see in the theater. And, uh, and I've never seen any of them since. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to all revisiting all of those whenever, when we get around to them. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if, well, the, 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 the only two that are left right now are right. Are insurrection and nemesis and insurrection. I remember being my favorite of the mm -hmm. next gen ones. And I can, and I count this one as a next gen one and uh nemesis being my least favorite so those two i'm really looking forward to to see if i still feel that way you know see it, it's hard for me to to pick my favorite next gen if i include this one because it, it definitely comes down to either generations or insurrection um as as a next gen film servicing only next gen you know and, and being true to those characters in that show it would it would have to go with insurrection which i actually can't wait for us to do that episode because that i feel is an extremely maligned uh star trek film and very undeservedly so i think insurrection's a damn good movie i've always liked it and I, I was amazed when I walked out of the theater loving that movie and immediately started to hear all this horrible criticism of it that, that has lasted to this present. As a matter of fact, I've only ever met just a handful of other people that, that can even Every tolerate time I that or say anything nice about it. I mean, all it, those movies, I went with the same crew and we almost were always split coming out in in different ways every time. But I remember walking out of that one, and my son, I remember I had somebody who was with me on it, because we both, you know, did the like, you know, finishing each other's sentence off, and it was like, it was like an extended episode of the TV show. It was yep. like a very good episode of the TV show. It wasn't like the end of the world story. It was just a, it was a science fiction story where everybody got to tweak their characters and you got to see all your all the crew doing their thing you know and i really liked i appreciated that actually i was like mm -hmm. i remember saying you know i'd be very happy if they just sort of stuck with this formula of you know putting some having having it be a tv show with some ramped up special effects with some bet you know better special effects and it doesn't have to be some sort of blockbuster smash them up as long as it's a good science fiction story and that's what i i remember it had elements of cheesiness in it that i was like yes thank you <laughs> you know yeah throw, throw in throw in a little of that cheesiness it's kind of corny and good natured you know and and it's sort of star trekky so uh yeah i'm i'm looking forward to that and i remember nexus was the exact opposite of what i wanted <laughs> it was all big nemesis booms. you mean yeah what did I say? Nexus. Nexus. <laughs> you got Nexus on the brain. Yeah, See, yeah. I like Nemesis too. Um, although I, you know, I'm perfectly willing to admit that it, it has some serious problems. It, that one, that one may be one of the most problematic um, next generation movies. I, I would put that one right behind uh, um, First Contact as as the one i have the most issues with but first contact for me is the clear winner of my least favorite least favorite trek movie there's just there, it just has too many things i don't like which uh 
you know, it's odd because see, you've already done that when you and Shag did first contact. So what I might do seriously at some point, maybe even in the near future, I might, uh, I might try to do a, a commentary on that one, either, either solo or, or with someone else. I'm not sure, but, uh, try, well, I, I would probably actually want to do it solo just to give the other side of the coin, because I do realize that I do hold a minority opinion on that because that, for a lot of people, that's their favorite um, next gen film, which boggles my mind. I don't. That that was one I remember seeing that in the theater and going, ah, well, okay, <laughs> you know, that was all right, but it, it yeah, didn't I... really do anything, do much for me. But I didn't hate it. I I don't really hate it, but I, I my Jack my initial likes it, the fucking moron. I don't know what his <laughs> problem is. My my initial reaction to that movie is is still the the reaction I have today, which was just horrible horrible disappointment. I I felt like it it didn't. I I felt like it wasn't faithful to you know to the source material. I guess would would be the biggest. I felt like there were a number of characters that were out of character in the movie, and uh, there were a lot of continuity problems and just I don't know, but. It'll be interesting to get into sometime. I, I might seriously try to uh, make that happen sometime soon as far as uh, doing a commentary on that. And then that would pave the way for us to do uh, Insurrection, which I'm I'm definitely due for a, a rewatch of that. I haven't seen that in a, in a good while. But I, I do really enjoy that movie, or at least the last, you know, last time I saw it, I had enjoyed it. Maybe, maybe opinions will have changed in the interim. I don't uh-huh. know. But... Uh, Last thing I had for that. Did you have anything else for this episode? No, not really. I th- now didn't you have a, a book or something? Yeah, for... yeah. Last thing I've got for this episode is. Um, well, you remember last Star Trek Monthly Monday, we did our epic coverage of City on the Edge of Forever, and uh, which I must say, you know. You did a, a great job with the editing on that one, you know, in the in the second half, you know, because the first half of that show was a straight up commentary that we did for City on the Edge of Forever. And then the back half of the episode was really like the post game wrap up where we were just, you know, giving our thoughts on the thing. Well, I went on and on, you know, at great length about, man, I really wish there was a story that would, you know, kind of pick up the threads of this story and expound upon, you know, what happens the next day and. You know, and we even had a great talk about, you know, uh, Edith Keeler being really the love of Kirk's life. And that if somebody was clever, they could sit down and make Kirk's on-screen life make a logical sense that he makes the decisions he does and he lives the life he leads right up until... You know, as we see in the movie we just watched, you know, in, in generations where he winds up in that empty house because, you know, he did have one true love and he lost her. And it, and it made him to where he couldn't ever really fully commit himself again to another woman. Dude, I found that book and I was completely blown away by it. It's uh, it's a fairly modern book. Let me see here. The uh, 
publishing date on this is uh, March 2007. So, I mean, it's it's not very old. It's only like four years old. Yeah. I picked this up at a, at a used bookstore just on a whim because I was looking over the uh, the back cover on it. And I was un- I'd never seen it before and I was unfamiliar with what it might be about. It turns out that it's part of a trilogy of books um, published under the Crucible uh crucible i don't know imprint title whatever you want to call it this one was the third book of the series it was called crucible kirk uh the star to every wandering written by david r george the third who wrote the entire trilogy now i have not read the other books i i didn't realize it was a trilogy i thought it was just you know a standalone book so i read it that way it very much reads as a standalone book so now i'm really curious to go check the other two out because the other two are Crucible McCoy and Crucible Spock. And all three of these books spin out of City on the Edge of Forever. And it's basically telling three separate stories of how that one event affected these men. And in this particular book, what I really liked about this was that the bulk of the story takes place with quote-unquote modern-day Kirk, meaning the Kirk that we see in Generations. So a lot of the story is told in flashback of this Kirk basically looking back over the course of his life and realizing exactly what I had kind of speculated on last episode that, you know, wow, you know, somebody could really, as I said, you know, tie Edith Keeler into Kirk's decision-making process over the rest of his life. That's exactly what George does in this novel, is he shows you that Edith Keeler really was the one for Kirk. And he was never the same afterwards. And even women that he was with, like Miramani or, you know, Antonia that was you know in generations you know kind of thought up for generations and what i really liked was you know you and i had had the discussion about you know gee it really should have been edith keeler in the nexus not this made-up antonia person i get the feeling that george probably felt the same way too so he explains it in the book why it's antonia and not Edith Keeler. And I tell you, I bought it. I completely bought it. It made a hell of a lot of sense. It was this great regret that Kirk had had that he got involved with this woman and made her all these promises that he wouldn't break her heart, knowing full well that he was going that he to. Was going to. And he came you to. You can really... sort of pick that up from the movie because yes. he was like, you know. You know, he was like, this was just, you know, he was getting the chance to propose to her instead of telling her, well, I'm going back to Starfleet. Right. Right. And he one of the reasons that that was a moment that he he came to subconsciously fixate on while he was in the Nexus, because it was an opportunity for him to fix a, a terrible injustice that he felt he had done to this woman that she deserved better than the way he treated her. You know, it's not like he abused her or anything, but at the same rate, he went into a relationship with her on false pretenses that he knew, you know, that she wasn't Edith Keeler and therefore by, by definition that he was not going to stay with her and ended up breaking her heart, you know, and, and it was something that he always regretted having done. 
and here was his opportunity to make it right by her, which, you know, also I think leads in nicely to why he's able to kind of, you know, quote unquote, defeat the Nexus and leave his fantasy world because he's not being true to himself. And I think he realizes it either on a subconscious or even conscious level that, you know, if even in my fantasy world, if I marry this woman, then I'm not being true to me because I don't really love her. Not the way that she needs me to, you know, and it's not really her. And it's not really her. Exactly. I give the highest recommendation to this book. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I really, really thought it was great. I only had the minorest of quibbles with it. Um, and I'm kind of afraid to discuss what they are because I, the last thing I'd want to do is ruin it for somebody. Um, I'll, I'll just leave it this way that kind of the mechanism, um, the, 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 the mechanism of the story that gets Kirk to have to resolve the big problem he has to resolve in the, basically the conflict of the story, I, I'll admit I just didn't really understand it. It, it kind of felt like a mechanism just to be a mechanism. And I didn't really understand the, the dynamic that the writer was going for, but I was so into his book and the way he wrote the characters and the fact that Kirk feels like Kirk in this book, which is just, that's something I don't experience a lot when I, and that's one of the reasons that to be honest with you, I haven't really read a lot of Kirk era books in Star Trek in a long, long time because I, I felt like, you know, the era of really capturing the essence of any of the classic guys had kind of gone away. You know, I couldn't really remember the last, you know, outside the Shatner books, couldn't really really remember the last time I read an adventure with the, the classic trek people and and really felt like it was them this book just feels like shatner's kirk you know and i really was enjoying it so i was able to forgive some of the wonkier elements of the story and and kind of the deus ex machina that that sets the whole thing up um the only other thing that i had a quibble with and again spoiler warnings on this but it kind of just has to be said it is revealed that um, Kirk and Edith Keeler had a physical relationship. And I wasn't sure how I felt about that because while it's written, you know, very well and it's very romantic and you can see that these two obviously love each other and it really feeds in nicely to the story that Kirk truly loved her and she loved him. And I liked the way it was written, but at the same rate, I almost felt like it. Um, what's the word? I, it like doesn't it cheapened her a little bit because she's a character. Seems out of character. She's very religious for one. Exactly. Yes. She's she's a character from an era where, you know, premarital sex. I think I just don't really see her character that way. But, there was premarital sex in those days, but oh, she sure. was she was a true believer, you know, missionary type lady, you know. Right, right. So that I could why... see her maybe drinking in it, or you know, going right. dancing and going on dates with a young man and ma- and you know making out with him. But yeah, I don't so know. That part of it was a, was a little bit hard for me to to digest. It's Kirk, though. You know? it's yeah, Kirk. but. 
then again, then even though it's not written that way, it kind of lends into that, you know, Kirk as as the ladies man womanizer type of thing, which, you know, as you and I discussed, I don't see Edith as just another notch on his belt. I definitely don't think Kirk looked at her that way. You know, it's as we said, I, I don't think that this would have been a typical Kirk relationship that as soon as he got her into bed, well, it's off to the next planet. As I say, I think he really, no, but I think in the future, in the future, I don't think they have the whole, like, you know, we have to court before. I'll bet you in the future, there's a lot more screwing on the first date. Right. There's a lot more spontaneous sex is more like a handshake in the future, you know, not like a handshake, but you know, it's more, it's not as it's not this taboo thing is at least that's I what know. I think Rod Roddenberry's Roddenberry definitely was going for that. I, I mean, I think that that would be more true in say um, Riker's lifestyle and Riker's timeline. But in the timeline of, of Kirk, as much as Roddenberry might've personally wanted that or been shooting for that, I, I don't, I don't think Kirk quite looked at it that way. You know what I mean? I, I think, I mean, not every woman that he betted was he, you know, madly in love with, I'm sure. But at the same rate, in this particular instance, when it comes to Edith Keeler, I would think that that would be, even for him, that's a pretty big step to take. You know what I I'm mean? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I know, I'm, I don't know. I just think the whole, like, holding off on sex thing might have been a whole, you know, a uh, um, artifact of a different time, you know, not for not for Edith Keeler, but for Kirk. But you know, it. Right. I don't know. But see, I, 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 I still even, you know, I, I, I could see. I, I don't know. I it, that's something that would you would hear nowadays is a guy saying, "Yeah, I've slept with every girl that I've ever met, but I'm not sleeping with you because you're special." I just don't right. see that, that being. In, a, in effect with Kirk so so I, I just see, so much... I see no problem with Kirk having sex with her I see the problem is with her having sex her, with yeah Kirk. exactly that was my point yeah that was the point I was trying to make is that it, it totally comes down to her and the the question for me comes down to does does this cheapen her in my in my perception and I gotta be honest a little bit yeah and that's why I think I was uncomfortable with that scene is that I don't know that I felt that that was being true to her character. But it's hard to say because there is that cut, or at least it feels like a bad cut, in the episode itself where he's walking her home. And, you know, the, the romantic music is playing and all that. And it looks like they're about to kiss. And then there's like just this bad cut. To like stock footage of New York, and then I think it cuts again to like Spock. And by the time we get back round to Kirk, it looks like a, a full night could have passed, you know, where maybe they did go back to Edith's place and get it on. You know, I, I it's hard to say. I mean, it's it's definitely this book is expertly written in the fact of all the little in-between moments that he gives and, and shades in can be, fit in there can fit yeah exactly because he he lays out the entire backstory with antonio which is one of those things i think i said this you know last time around has always bugged me because i couldn't place it i couldn't figure out when the hell was this deal with her supposed to have happened and he places it in here and it was 
it was um, after the five-year mission, after V'ger, and after, I think there was actually supposed to be like another, I don't know if it was a five-year mission, but there was another mission after, you know, another tour of duty after V'ger. And then Kirk retired um, from Starfleet. And the when he's talking in Generations about, you know, you know, t- you know, this was the day I told her I was going back to Starfleet. This is when he went back to the Admiralty for the second time, which is where we pick up with him in Star Trek Two. So that's where all that stuff with Antonia happened. And this book shades all that in, you know, Kirk's decision to leave Starfleet and why, and then Kirk's decision to go back to Starfleet and why. And I really... I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really expertly done. And some of the revelations toward the end of the book of, you know, exactly what's happening and, and how things are working. And uh, again, you know, minor spoiler, uh, a lot of the book involves uh, Kirk returning to the Guardian. And I liked that a lot because that was exciting. I was like, holy shit, he's gone back. What is he going to go back to do? You know, what, who is he going for? And uh, I'll, I'll just leave it there. It it was a solid read. I highly suggest it, uh, you know, especially if you can, uh, you know, find it on the cheap or what. But it, it was a solid Star Trek book. And uh, this guy's quickly uh, went right to the, the stop of the, you know, top of the stack for uh, Star Trek authors. Star Trek that, authors. Yeah, that I'm going to have to, you know, check into his other works. Because uh, he wrote a... Um, he wrote a book. There was a series of books a few years ago that were set in different quote unquote lost eras of Star Trek. Basically, you know, gray areas that we don't really know anything about. And it was several different authors tackling these different eras. And there was a book that was, a, you know, like an adventure of the Enterprise C and Captain Garrett. And then there was a book that was an adventure of the Enterprise B with Captain Harriman that we met in Generations. And that book is written by this same guy. I think I read that book, or at least I, I, I know I started it. I'm not sure if I ever finished it, but I think I did read that book because um, one of the characters from that book, uh, Harriman's father, is, uh, is referred to in this book. And when it got to that part, I was like, hey, wait a minute, I think I read that book because I could kind of remember the the... The character, you know. Does Harriman total his father's car? And <laughs> no, his he's got. See, the, I felt I really felt like that kind of shaded Harriman's character in a, a lot, and kind of explained some of his uh, his character and, and kind of his his quirks a little bit in Generations. Is the fact that he was kind of fast tracked into the captaincy, and that's why he's so young and everything because his father was like this high muckety muck admiral you know it was kind of kind of a hard case kind of a hard ass and you know really rode his son and everything to a point where he kind of steered him you know and, and and almost like bought him into the captaincy maybe before he was actually ready for the ready job ready to be there yeah yeah and then once he gets there it's a matter of okay now you're here you may not totally deserve it but can you do the job, you know? And that's kind of what I liked about that book was, was Harriman 
both rising to, to the occasion exactly having you know have, the having to rise to the occasion both through you know the fact that you know it's his father's machinations that got him there but then he also had this you know now you know beyond the fact that he was so young and inexperienced he had this huge handicap of public perception you know he was the captain you know who allowed the legendary james t kirk to die on his watch you know which was a horrible thing you know a horrible stigma for him to have to live with you know and i like that you know it, it's so unfair to him but again it, it was a great um a great story element you know what i mean a, a yeah. great piece of uh of tension within the story of, you know, here, here's the occasion you have to rise to. And, uh, while the, the details of that particular book are, are real fuzzy to me, cause I read that a long time ago. I, I did remember once I remembered having read the book, I do remember that I enjoyed it very much. So yeah, again, this was uh, crucible Kirk by, uh, David R. George, the third highly recommended solid read. And, uh, it's cool because it, it, it mashes up two of my favorite Star Trek adventures, which is City on the Edge of Forever and uh, Star Trek Generations. So, yeah, solid book about Kirk. That's pretty much pretty much it. Pretty much all you got? Pretty is that much all you got? That's all I got. Well, that's not bad. Uh, we filled in a good amount of time. Yeah, I think so. I hope, I hope, uh, I hope we surprised a few few people with our choice of commentaries whether we even did a commentary at all I hope that was yeah. amusing at least <laughs> I'll be interested to listen back because you know not to toot my own horn but I, I think we del- delivered a solid episode a solid uh, commentary I think we're getting better with the commentary thing I really do every time I listen to one I'm like hey you know we're actually getting the hang of this shit it's not just us sitting there and watching Some, the movie or sitting there and someday going, we got to do a movie <laughs> and actually do a real movie commentary on our own movie. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be fun. This is the part where I pulled the thing out of my nose. This is the part. <laughs> this is the part where I fell asleep and they were taking my picture and I'm snoring. It's funny. See, because <laughs> I don't know I'm asleep and I'm snoring. Okay. Well, All next right. month we'll be back to normal. Yes. Uh, whatever normal is. Yeah, the promised <laughs> the promised episodes that we were supposed to deliver for December will uh, will now just get slid back to January, which was what what was it? it was we were going to for the classic episode the Paradise we Syndrome, Paradise wasn't it? Syndrome. Yeah, the one with Miramani and then uh, for whatever the oh, first Oh, it's uh, the first uh, it's the child, the first episode of uh, season 2 of Next Gen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that. I am totally ready. And uh, I think we're going to try to get back to the comics, too, aren't we? I think. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Cool. So I am I'm psyched. I'm ready. So, yeah. Merry Christmas, guys. I, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. See you next year, at least on Star Trek Monthly Monday. We'll see you before next year on Two Two Freaks, because I know that each and every one of you are listening to every single two true freaks show that we put out (laughs) and you're all lining up to buy a t-shirt in time for christmas for your loved ones (laughs) or you if you happen to be a loved one of yourself which you should be
Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.